Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. to Fan Junkies Radio, and yes, it is our 100th anniversary episode, 100 episodes. I am your host, Jonathan Raggis. Alongside me, as always, is Mike, 100 episode McShane. Mike, what's going on, man? How are we doing, Jonathan? Congratulations, my friend. Congratulations to you, too, man. It's uh, been a wild and fun ride. It, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's rather odd. I was sitting uh, this morning just kind of thinking about it. We go back to August 29. That was the first show. Yes. And uh, all of the things that have happened over those 100 shows. I mean, it seems like it was yesterday at the same time. It does seem like it was quite a while ago. Everybody, every time I say, hey, Friday was our our, our 100th episode, everybody says, really? Already? I, I, like- I, well, you know, it's funny. They, I guess to outsiders, they look at it and go, oh, my gosh, I can't, it can't possibly be. And yet, when you look at the body of work, over all that period of time, it's it's just amazing, and we're going to revisit some of that today. Yep, we're going to be celebrating everything today, as well as being joined with some great, great guests who are returning to the show. And yes, we can say that they are friends of the show, and that Absolutely. will be former NHL referee Kerry Frazier and former NBA player Chucky Brown will yep. be joining us throughout this program today. And we're two hours today, Mike. Yeah, I, and those two, I you know, people might say, well, how come how come they're you know they're coming on it. Uh, those were two of the really the the more memorable interviews we've done in the past. Yeah. Although we've had some we've had some good ones, we really have. We had some amazing guests, and I have to say, everybody that we had on the show, Mike, was just amazing. Absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll go through that list of all of our guests towards the end of the show to send out a very special thank you to everybody that helped yeah. get Fan Junkies Radio to where it is today. But Mike. Yes, sir. Let's start it off right and. Let's start it off with today in sports. Well, we got to. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a 100th show or not. We've got to stick with that one today in sports. I'm going to take it back to 1970. And, uh, Jonathan, I know you weren't around and you weren't at this game. I wasn't either. But I'm going to – you should know this one. And it's going to go to the NHL, and it's a very famous picture from a Stanley Cup winning goal. Can you guess what that is? In 1970? Correct. Oh, man. Um, You've seen the picture. Everybody has seen it a million times. I'm I'm sure I have. Um, it's got it. I mean, it's definitely the Bruins. Yes, it is. Um, trying to think what picture it, it is. It's got to be Bobby Orr's goal, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. The famous goal uh, scored with 40 seconds in overtime. Bobby Orr's goal that won the Stanley Cup for the Boston Bruins over the St. Louis Blues. The Bruins won that series four games to nothing. And for those that are saying, okay, it's a Bobby Orr goal, well, what made it uh, noted is it's the famous picture where Orr is literally flying through the air after the goal has already, after the puck has already gone in the net. With with his arms completely raised and saying, I just scored, we won. Yep. And uh, Blues goaltender, Glenn Hall, just sitting there uh, basically shocked. And I believe, if if I'm not mistaken, I don't have a copy of the picture right in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, 
behind or you can see Phil Esposito, I believe, like right in around the crease area. Yes, I believe so. So it's it's a very famous picture, and I thought that that was a very cool way to open our 100th episode with that famous, famous picture. With a great, great moment in NHL history. It really was. I, you know, I've never seen it live. I've only seen clips of it. Uh, but, uh, wow, it, it is just, like I said, it's one of those indelible pieces of sports and NHL and Stanley Cup history that's forever just in your mind. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know what? Let's start the number today because yeah. without our listeners, we wouldn't be here at 100 today, Mike. Absolutely. And the number is 347-237-5373 if anybody would like to call. And if we cannot get your call, it's because, well, we do have guests today and we do have a packed show. And also, our great, our good friend, Jim Williams, should be joining us for the last hour today. Second hour, correct. Yeah. Also, today's episode is sponsored by the WIFL. Yeah, Women's Indoor Football League, WIFL.com. Head over there. Uh, we'll have a little message uh, at the halfway mark today from WIFL player and player representative Kylie Fainel. Yep. That's going to be good. So, Mike, you know, we were talking pre-show. We were talking over the last few days about some of our favorite episodes, about some of our favorite guests, and basically our our favorite moments overall in Fan Junkies radio history. And i got to say, one of the most memorable ones for me was episode technical difficulty. <laughs> You know, something that's great, I forgot about that one, actually. Uh, and I think that was out there, too. We never really counted it, but I think you can still no, get that. No, 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 it's up there. You it's, can still get not, that one in the archive, yes. It's not counted as an episode number, but we did keep it in the archive, and it is labeled as episode technical difficulty. Yes, and that happened on March 8th. Uh, for some reason or another, we're still not sure what the heck happened. But we I got into do what's going on today with Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, really, really. We we got in to do the program and we discovered that it was scheduled for a whopping total of fifteen minutes. <laughs> but we had fun. Oh but we had fun, Mike. Hey, you know, it was it was just like last Friday's episode with uh you, me and Jim. Yeah, well I, make no listen. I, that was a wild one. We've talked about it before. If something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen on a Friday and show technical difficulties. Well, don't you know that was a Friday? Yeah, I hear you. Oh, goodness. That also, was... to, uh, you know, to all of our listeners, if you want, please uh, get over and uh, send some questions, um, whatever, feedback, a congratulations message or two, uh, whatever, to uh, at FanJunkiesNet on Twitter. There you go. I am actually, you know, today we're doing it up a little bit different. Mike is actually in charge of the switchboard and the soundboard today. Yep. So if anything well, happens, it's, 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 it's Mike's fault. Absolutely. And I'm focusing on Twitter today to, uh, to all of our listeners and fans. So There you go. That And because I can't connect to Blog Talk Radio for some reason, thank you, Blog Talk Radio, for choosing today to do that to us. But, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan, we were talking a little bit too pre-show, and you brought it up, uh, you know, favorite shows. And I made the point to you that it's really almost impossible to point to any one real favorite show there are certain ones that stand out in my mind yes uh dan high note the dan high note uh, uh interview great show uh, great. way back in october uh in fact that was on october 17th uh was just a terrific terrific program yes uh, the kenny albert when we had kenny on in uh, november november 14th great guy and we were uh at that point we were about at the midpoint of the nfl season just a terrific terrific program and by the way for all of our listeners Every one of these shows, folks, that I'm bringing up or that we bring up during the course of this program, you can get in archives. You can go back and listen to them. Absolutely. And some of them are well worth 
going back and revisiting and, and giving a listen to if you didn't hear them the first time. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know what, the Kenny Albert one is definitely one that stands out. Um, throughout my career, Mike, doing sports media and sports radio shows, Kenny Albert has been, uh, you know, he's done a lot for me. And, uh, you know, gl- you know, glad to call Kenny a friend. Uh, you know, he did a lot for me with Ranger Nation early on uh, in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s when we were just getting it up and, uh, and started. And, you know, from what I heard from other people, when I, when I would talk to a former Ranger or a current Ranger, I'd say, hey, you know what, we'd like to get you on, on Ranger Nation radio with us over at, uh, you know, Ranger Nation, uh, NYNation.net. And they said, "Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, we, we we would actually love to do it because Kenny actually told us about it. Right. That's you know, I, I, I mean, that meant the, you know the world to me, Mike. So, yep. um, you well, know, it's and you, the other thing, yeah, the time. other thing I was going to say that's really been neat about this whole thing for myself, I think for you too as well, uh, Jonathan, is that uh, through this whole time period, these 100 shows, the people that I've met that I never would have met before, and nice. I'm thinking of people like uh, Lee Klein, yep. uh, uh, who I I discovered." Uh, through the first interview, and ultimately we had him on later on during March Madness. Just a, a, an incredible, incredible college basketball guy. Just yes. knows his stuff so well, and I was just so impressed with him and his knowledge and his background in uh, collegiate uh, basketball. Um, and, and there's others like that. Uh, uh, your buddy Chris Lepresti up there at WFAN is yes. another one. Yes, we've had a lot of great, great guests, and we will get to more in a little bit, Mike. But one of our most powerful guests, yes. one of our most powerful shows was former MLB catcher uh, Kelly Stinnett. And, um, you know, great guy. We had a lot of fun with Kelly, but I think he made probably the most powerful comment and statement that we've ever had. I agree. On Fan Junkies Radio, Mike, and uh, that's one of the clips we're going to play for you today. So, Mike, whenever you're ready, man. Yep. Well, let's take a listen to this one. Let me throw one at you, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thrilled to hear that you're working with so many young people. Uh, and, and there's a reason I'm going to bring this one up. We just had the story come out uh, last week, and here we go again with PED usage. Uh, we got the clinic down there in 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 Florida, and I don't even think I don't even think at this point yet we've scratched the surface on what this might all mean. You played at the height of the steroid era. Uh, I guess really uh, the big height of it, I guess, was 98, 99, somewhere in there, uh, the year that uh, uh, that uh, McGuire hit uh, 70 home runs. Uh, yeah. First of all, I guess the question I would ask you is this. Going back to that era, how prevalent was it to you as a player? That's number one. Number two, how do you feel about what's happening right now? And then number three, uh, how are we dealing with it with the young people today? Well, I think it's kind of with the young people, you know, we emphasize, hey, just, you know, you're right, you get your workouts in. Uh, you know, it's kind of a joke sometimes now with the young guys. So, you know, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But hopefully it's like, okay, it's a joke to where I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when I played, it was more, you know, you knew who was taken. You kind of, what are you going to say? You know, you, you kind of, okay, I think he's doing it, what have you. You know, it, it was, you know, it was one of those things. You know, you just go about your business. I know I wasn't doing it. I used to work my butt off six o'clock every morning, going lifting weights. Uh, probably wouldn't be talking to you now if I did, because you know I'd be off in a desert island somewhere because they hit forty or fifty home runs every year. <laughs> you know, instead of instead of my ten to fifteen. But you know, that's the choices we make. Uh, yeah. You know, I like the direction they're going. You know, clean it up. Uh, you know, I, I think there ought to be stiffer penalties now. Uh, you know what's uh, you know, one time, you know, two times, 
whatever, you know, we need to make rules different. We need to penalize these guys down the road, too. Like, yep. you know, I'm a couple years away from collecting my pension. You know, we need to hit these guys down the road, as, uh, you know, further. Because you get away with it, you know, like Melky got that big deal for Toronto. I mean, that's a joke, really, in my mind. Mm. You know, he got busted. Now, now he's in this thing, and he got $17 million for having one good year. I mean, that's, you know, to some of the guys that bust their butt every day and, and done it the right way, that's not fair because he's taking money out of somebody else's pocket that did it the right way. So that that's one thing that, that irritates me as a, as a as a former player and, and current, you know, just as a fan of the game, you know, why let this guy keep going? Let's do something to these guys down the road to, you know, take money out of their pocket, you know, penalize them. Because, you know, obviously you look back all the catchers that done it, you know, it, it, it irritates me as well because I know these guys put money out of my pocket, you know, during my playing days. So, uh-huh. But you live with it, you deal with it, and you just keep, keep plugging along. You know, I know that there's a bit of a fraternity that goes on uh, with players and former players. Uh, let me ask you, uh, with regard to say Hall of Fame status, you know we're seeing the we're seeing the influence right now this year on on uh, the whole steroid era and how that's influenced the Hall of Fame. Should some of these guys just not be? When you talk about penalties and what have you, should the penalties be that you just can't get into the Hall? I mean that 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 could be one. That'd be a great one right there. And like you said, you see it this year. You know anybody with any kind of tainted playing career or associated or that was verbally say, hey, I did them, you know, keep them out. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's just a cut and dry thing. Just no, you know, you, you did it. You don't go to Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. Because, Mike, you know what we said it ourselves, you know, to us with this Hall of Fame ballot this year, the guys being on it that were on it, the Maguires, the Bonds, the Palmeros, they squeezed a lot of votes away from guys like Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, guys that should have got oh, yeah. in this season. You absolutely. Know? So it's a real shame. Really is a real shame. All right. uh, Unfortunately, a trickle-down effect. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's it's hurting a lot of people that deserve to be in there, you know, and especially, like Kelly said, you know, it hurt a lot of people that deserve to make some type of money, and it's taking it out of their pockets. It's a real shame. Yeah, and why not? I mean, why not just just don't even put the names on the ballot anymore? I mean, you said there's a trickle-down effect. Let's just not even put them on there. And and that way, people, the voters are focused on the guys that did did it the right way. Yep. You know, you know, if there's any kind of evidence that you've done it or you admitted to doing it, just just nix you off the ballot and let, let's move on. Well, let me say this to you, Kelly. From a fan perspective uh, and from an analyst perspective, somebody in the media, I appreciate your refre- your refreshing response to that as a former player. Uh, you know, I'm concerned sometimes when I bring these types of issues up to former players that, again, like I said, there's that kind of fraternity where everybody's just going to back everybody, and I appreciate you being honest on it. Well, I mean, you, you try. I mean, just like I tell the kids every day, I said, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna give my honest opinion and my honest evaluation of you because I want you to get better. You know, and, and there's no, you know, everybody knows by now who, who had a pretty good idea of who uh, juiced during those days. So, you know, it's kind of cut and dry. And, you know, maybe you call me a bitter old old guy. I mean, you have, I guess, let the fans get around Reggie Jackson and, and some of those guys that played, you, you're talking about guys that, you know, we'll lay it on the line and let you know what they think. You know, you got to respect that, and that's, right. that's where I want to be. Is hey, you know, this is the way it is. Let, let, let's do it this way. Let's clean it up. And get it going right. That way, you know, we don't have to worry about this down the road. My kids don't have to worry about this when they start, you know, getting to that age where they have a chance to play uh, at that level. Excellent. Yeah, really refreshing. 
<laughs> Kelly, seriously, man, you know, thank you so much for, uh, you know, not only joining us today, but, you know, you know, telling us and saying the comments that you said today. It's, it's, it's really nice to hear a uh, former professional athlete come out and say stuff like that because that's stuff that we need to hear and it's stuff that we're not hearing on an everyday basis, unfortunately. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. It really no, is. I mean, obviously during the years, I mean, it's not, you know, you've had a lot of great teammates. You've, you've, you've been in a lot of battles or a lot of games with these guys and, you know, you respect them on the field and all that stuff. But, you know, the way you go about it, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, you choose your path and if you, if you did it the wrong way, you should pay. If you did it the right way, you know, you should be somewhat rewarded. So that, that's just the way I see it. Great, great, awesome. Well, Kelly, seriously, thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time out of your schedule. Um, I know you probably could have been patching some holes in nets today instead of talking to us. <laughs> no, I appreciate you guys giving me a break. I appreciate it. No. Oh, we, 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 we thank you for being on. Hey, no problem, guys. Uh, anytime, just let me know what I can do for you guys in the future. That's great. Save you, man. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. All right, thank you. Take right, care. Bye-bye. That's our uh, interview there that we did. Uh, oh, what was the date on that, Jonathan? Oh, I can't even remember right now, considering I can't connect. Oh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it, it honestly seems like it was only probably a month ago, Mike. It was February. It was probably about four months ago. It was February eighth. It was February eighth that. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, because that was my birthday that day. Yeah, he there was you on go. My birthday. There you yeah. go. I powerful, about. powerful stuff. And uh, we got another powerful guy with us uh, here, I believe. I think we have uh, Kerry Fraser on the line with us right now. And so let me get uh, Kerry in here. Kerry, how are we doing today? I am doing fantastic. It's a rainy day in Toronto where I'm at for uh, TSN, uh, ready to go into studio later today. Very, very nice. Kerry, it's, uh, you know, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we've, you know, we had you on before, and you were you were absolutely probably um, our most favorite guest that we've had on our show now in 100 episodes. Wow, I can't believe it. A referee finally is a favorite? <laughs> yes, yes. We're, What's we're wrong giving with you guys? Credit. Have you gone soft or what? <laughs> no. Maybe, maybe we are, but yes. Uh, <laughs> an NHL referee, one that I pointed at at my screen Quite a few times in the past, Karish. Uh, I, I did as well. <laughs> yeah, threw some profanities at your way, and yes, you you were definitely one of our favorite guests here on Fan Junkies Radio, and we appreciate that. Well, and the well, evidence too. The evidence too, by the way, Kerry, is in the fact that uh, we know what the listenership is, and the show that you were on uh, with us back in, in in March, one of the most popular programs that we brought to our listeners. Well, that's terrific. I'm uh, I'm happy to comply. Thank you. Well, you know, let's jump right into it. And what we want to talk to you right now about, uh, Kerry, is the NHL playoffs. And, um, you know, a couple of surprises thus far. And one of the you know big surprises has been uh, the San Jose Sharks sweeping the Vancouver Canucks out of the first round of the playoffs. Um, what did you think of the uh, Sharks doing that? Well, I must tell you guys, first off, uh, in the 261 Stanley Cup playoff games that I did over my career, I found that the first round – Upsets uh, and intensity uh, is unequaled. Uh, we've seen President's Trophy winners, uh, first seeds get knocked off uh, in uh, successive seasons. Uh, the, the situation in Vancouver has resulted in a reassessment of their organization. You know, five years ago, they decided that they were going to make a change, and, and uh, they're now reevaluating. Uh, they did some good stuff. They made it to the finals against Boston had success, uh, but haven't been able to really finish. And this upset uh, has really uh, put them back on their heels, and they're reevaluating everything beyond just Roberto Luongo 
and how they can get rid of that contract and move them elsewhere. Uh, you know, the, it was a hard-fought series, and, and San Jose, with Joe Thornton leading them, uh, has really uh, demonstrated some push, and mm. uh, they've got some momentum going here. Uh, Jumbo Joe has always been accused of, of not uh, being the guy in the playoffs to lead them. Well, he certainly so showed in this series uh, that he is, and they've got some great scoring from young guys too. So uh, they look like they're ready, but this first round has been really tough. And, and uh, you know, the Ottawa-Montreal yep. series started off with a bang yep. uh, when Eric Greiba, uh, you know, did what I what I wrote about and talked about on air as a yes. good open ice hockey hit that had yes. a horrible result when Lars Eller uh, went face first uh, in a free fall and uh, really did some damage to his facial uh, features. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that heated up and, the coaches got going into it uh, in the media, and last night Montreal Canadiens were eliminated as their fans were shocked. Yeah. Now, you know what? Let me ask you really quick about that Eric Ryba hit because uh, we spoke about it here on Fan Junkie yep. Radio and over on Ranger Nation, and of course, um, you know your post over at Come On Ref. I sent that out to everybody. I said, look, even Kerry said that uh, you know it, it was it was a good hockey hit. Now, was Ryba suspended more for the injury to Lars Eller than he was for the hit? Oh, I believe so. I mean, we uh, I was able to break it down with the Libro uh, on air and showed body posture, the approach. Uh, if you were teaching a player how to body check, you would look at, at the setup of the open ice hit uh, by Greiba with his shoulder down, his skates on the ice, which I am just wild about the way players jump and leave their feet. He yeah. was in perfect posture. He stuck mm-hmm. his hip out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a hip check, actually, the, to the uh, groin midsection of Eller, that if you think about a fighter that gets punched in the stomach or the gut, his head naturally comes forward. And as that hip check was executed in perfect posture off the center line of Eller's head and center mass of body, it caused his head to move forward and catch the shoulder, uh, the back part of the shoulder of Griba as he slid through and, uh, on the check. So that's what stunned him, knocked him out, and he went into a helicopter uh, paratrooper free fall with his arms yeah. out. Uh, so, but you know what? Any hit to the head, if if this is going to be the new checking standard, and the responsibility is on the player doing the hitting, knowing yeah. his uh, attack is going to be to a vulnerable a player in a vulnerable position then we better know that right off the get-go because I believe this suspension is redefined hitting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, basically what Chani and the NHL crew are doing from what we've seen from a lot of suspensions as of late is they're suspending more over the injury than they have been a hit. So, now, is this going to be a trend that we're going to see more often now where if, it, like, let's say Lars Eller didn't get injured in this hit, Greiva would have been playing this series. But now that he was injured, he was suspended for, uh, you know, a few games. Is this going to be the trend now that we see in the future of the NHL? Well, the spin that was placed on the decision was that there was more contact to the head than to the body. The vis, the, the video didn't support that. So uh, it were, a reasonably thinking person would suggest that it was directly as a result of the hit. And the optics were horrible. I don't like to see any player injured yes. uh, in a, on a play and certainly this was horrific. Uh, but bad optics 
uh, has maybe redefined uh, what is allowed and what isn't. It's the end result that was ruled on as far as I'm concerned, and mm-hmm. I think uh, most people would feel the same. Terry, let me throw something at you that you just said that kind of surprised me a little bit, and you were mentioning about the Vancouver Canucks. Let me go back to that for a minute. Sure. Uh, you had indicated that there being, you know, as a result of this this rather dramatic loss in the first round, the team is being kind of reassessed. That kind of surprises me a little bit. Uh, that sounds like a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, wouldn't you say? Well, they're, you know, they've they've worked hard to get to a certain level. They made it to the finals. Uh, the expectations are high. Their cap hit is uh, 64.3 mil. Uh, they've got R- Roberto Luongo on a uh, a big ticket that hits their cap. They they've got to get rid of some of that. Uh, and if, you know the the core players, you know Kessler and the Sedins, they're saying, hey, give us another chance. You know, let's not disrupt everything here. But that's a tough media market. It's really tough. And Mike Gillis has a lot of issues to deal with. Uh, Alain Vigneault is being scrutinized as uh, the coach. Uh, you know, do we get rid of him? Uh, there's all kinds of pressure that's being exerted uh, from the fans and from the media. And I, I agree with you. I don't think a knee-jerk reaction is the way to go. I think that team has to get better in certain areas. Uh, they had some uh, health issues, as all of the teams have experienced during this uh, shortened season and compressed uh, schedule. But you can look to the Ottawa Senators, for example, that uh, have embarked on a a plan that Brian Murray put forth a couple of years ago. Uh, They've stuck with it. They've gone with some young guys who have really come together. They had some serious injuries uh, throughout the season, Spessa, Carlson, um, uh, even their goaltender, Anderson. Uh, they battled through it. It made them stronger. That of adversity that they experienced, uh, Paul McLean is crediting uh, for making them stronger and better as they came into the playoffs. They're battle-ready, even their young guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had uh, John Borick from CSN Philly on with us on Wednesday, and we were talking about the Vancouver Canucks a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, with you know guys like the Sedin brothers, uh, you know, you know, getting into their mid thirties now, and a goalie like uh, Roberto Luongo, who, as we saw in his comments, you know, he doesn't want to really be in Vancouver anymore. He he would, he, as he said, he would just wish he could just throw his contract out the window and go somewhere else and start over. You know, those are three big names in Vancouver. Are these names that we're going to have to possibly see Vancouver try to start moving, you know, this offseason? Well, that, that's certainly being evaluated uh, mm-hmm. by uh, Mike Gillis, uh, for sure. You yeah. know, Roberto Luongo came in in an adverse situation. He was terrific. Uh, mm-hmm. There was, you know, maybe one softie that, uh, that he uh, let in uh, during the overtime, probably wanted another another chance at but beyond that, I mean, he came in and was stellar. Uh, even when he was called in, uh, you know, for, uh, off the bench. So I, I, I think his stock was elevated. Uh, he can play. Uh, he can still play. Absolutely. Uh, but he needs a change of scenery for sure. You know, yeah. you, you look at at uh, Mark Andre Fleury in Pittsburgh. I mean, when I saw him the other day. Uh, it was reminiscent of last season's first round against the Philadelphia Flyers. This guy is fighting the puck. He's got some head issues here uh, working against him. And, uh, you know, Thomas Fukun came in last night or yesterday and uh, 
shutout. Uh, played great off the bench. Uh, he's their insurance policy, and you can expect him to be in the next game. Yeah. Well, I know uh, Mike Gillis said that it's unlikely that Luongo will still be with the team by next fall, but... You wouldn't think. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I, I don't see what team would want to take on that contract, Mike, unless it's your Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, but as Kerry's saying, if, if, if in fact Luongo is even saying at this point himself, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to throw the contract out the window, yeah. he might be willing to make some concessions on his own contract somewhere along the line, yeah. just, to get, just to get out of Dodge. Yeah, well, it must think. be a nice position to be able to say I'm going to throw six point some million out the window, wouldn't you think, guys? <laughs> Man, well, yeah. you guys probably know that, right? No, this no, is no, a big no, ticket show. Yeah, we wish. <laughs> no way. I, I don't even think we make a percent of that. <laughs> hey, what about your Islanders? Man, I'll tell you. I got to tell you, that that's um, been a pleasant surprise that a team that uh, that came in with you know kind of starry eyes. Uh, return to the playoffs uh, from a, a long sabbatical. Uh, yeah. I look at Dougie Wade as turning things around when he when that timeout was called, and he was so demonstrative uh, in his uh, rant to the players. It was it was a message, and I I had many experiences with Doug Wade on the ice. He was an intense guy, and uh, I I enjoyed him. But I had to sometimes say, whoa, relax, calm down, don't be yelling at me. And uh, he really gave it to them, and it was about them respecting this Pittsburgh Penguin team too much. And boy, has John Tavares ever stepped up and other yep. guys. It's It's been exciting to watch. Now, the, the last game uh, yesterday, uh, Pittsburgh re- sort of returned yeah, uh, to what we expected from them. Crosby was terrific. Hard luck Crosby. I mean, he's getting hit with pucks with all yep. over the place from his neck to his to his foot. Uh but boy it was it was uh really uh some good work in the previous games uh, by the Islanders that has uh, put some fear factor uh like Minnesota did to Chicago uh now into the uh Pittsburgh Penguin uh, group and they they've come back to play. Yeah, yeah, you make a great point, Kerry. We brought that up right here on the show a couple of times uh, Jonathan and I have mentioning just how tough the Islanders have proven to be against this uh, Pittsburgh team. Well, the so. Rangers uh the Rangers uh, on the same token uh are against uh you know a very formidable opponent in uh Ovi and uh his group. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that I I see that one going the distance. Yeah, it's been the guys that they brought in from Columbus, the Derek Brassards, uh you know, even Dorset returning John Moore has been really really good defensively for the Rangers. And uh, getting Ryan Kloh back last game, I think that's uh, what's really going to hopefully, because, you know, I'm a big Ranger fan all the way, that, you know, that'll be hopefully what propels them uh, in, into the second round. But, I, I, you know what, Kerry, for once, I would like to see my Rangers team not go seven games. I, I, I want to see them have a blowout win once in a while. It just doesn't seem to happen with them. <laughs> well, you know, Dorsett, when he came uh, came into the onto the roster, I thought he was playing a little over the edge, took some a couple of bad penalties, and... And to John Tortorella's credit, he hung in there with him in, the, in his first game that he played, yeah. uh, and he has been effective. Uh, what can you say about Ryan Klo? I mean, that guy, uh, boy, I rubbed shoulders with him many times, and I admired him and the way he played and what he brought to a team, the intangible stuff. He made players on his team better. He yeah. uh, held them accountable, uh, and he stuck up for them. Boy, his first game as a Ranger was, was evidence of – what he can do. Yeah, it was it was so memorable. I mean, that was his only two, you know, goals with the Rangers in the regular season, but 
I mean, you know, from coming off of where he wasn't scoring at all in San Jose to come into Madison Square Garden his first game and score those two big goals, that was just huge. But, you know, Derek Brassard as well. I, you know, we've heard a lot about Derek Brassard in Columbus, how he could have possibly needed a change of scenery. He was very, you know, I'm not going to say immature, but he really couldn't grasp his talent as, you know, best as he could. And now he's in New York here, and he leads the Rangers with five points. I mean, he's just been huge from the point of setting up some great goals for the Rangers. I, I, I have to say, you know, we got rid of Marion Gabrick, who is, you know, one of the most phenomenal players in the NHL. But right now, the Rangers have easily won out on that trade. Well, there's no question about it. And, you know, yeah. sometimes a change of scenery can make a difference, but also the chemistry in the dressing room, leadership on a team. You know, Columbus has they've come a long way, but the the chemistry in the dressing room and the leadership qualities is not the same as the New York Rangers. No. Uh, certainly, John Tortorella is a guy that holds everybody accountable. He doesn't play favorites, uh, as we've seen, and as I certainly saw. And, well, Rangers uh, fan thinks he does, unfortunately. So. <laughs> not well, me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Tortorella supporter. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people think he has, uh, you know, his favorites on the team. But, you know, he has guys he can depend on, so you can't blame him for that. Well, Derek Stepan has got, got to be a favorite of any coach, the way he plays, uh, for sure. And uh, I know that uh, Torts has, has certainly uh, given him a lot of uh, credit publicly uh, as his best player. Yeah, well, and, and Ryan Callahan, I know they, you know, oh, he, go, sure. he brushes over. <laughs> Terry, I got two things I want to throw at you. I was reading with great interest, uh, uh, I guess it was about a month ago, over on Yahoo uh, at Puck Daddy, uh, an article where you were quoted, refs uh, use makeup calls after questionable penalties. Uh, and I wanted to get your, your read on that because you had some rather amusing and uh, rather powerful comments in this article. Uh, from a stand standpoint, somebody who's been following the NHL now for almost 40 years, uh, I felt somewhat vindicated because we've been saying this now for a long time. Well, Puck Daddy really missed the, the main theme and point on that, and I was talking about human nature and the need to fight that, that instinct that we all have to be fair, to, to try and, when you know you've created a, a, a call, made a call, that in hindsight, in reflection, it wasn't a good call, it wasn't solid, it, wasn't, it was a marginal penalty. And the instinct, human instinct is, oh man, i got to make this right, i got to fix this. Yeah. And consequently, the, the difference that Puck Daddies didn't get is that you don't go out and make one up. It's not something that you all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to grab something that isn't. You look and find and hope that something comes your way that you can raise your arm. Now, that's going to adjust the standard. It may not be as good a penalty as you would have judged before the the, the stinker you called, right. but still it would be viewed and fall into the lines of, yeah, that's is a penalty, could be a penalty, and is a penalty because the ref raised his arm. So uh, it, I'm not talking about taking your integrity and throwing it out the window. What I was saying is you better not miss one, and if one comes your way that you can raise your arm on, make sure you get it, and that's going to balance things out here. But it's refreshing nonetheless, I think, from a fan's perspective, my ending, you know, in particular, to hear a referee say, hey, listen, make no mistake, that does happen. That's, you know, because... We we're watching the game on this end, and we're yeah. we we know it's going on. We're going. Oh come on, that's a makeup call. 
And you're saying, in fact, that that does in fact happen. Sure, it does, and it's it's human nature and it's instinct. And let me tell you a couple of quick stories. First of all, I had a game. Uh, Scotty Bowman was behind the Detroit Red Wing bench. I had tremendous and have tremendous respect for Scotty, and his team was playing very undisciplined. They took five penalties in a row. Detroit five penalties, other team nothing. Scotty mm-hmm. yelled at me after the fifth penalty. Gary, <laughs> that's five in a row. I hollered back, you're right, Scotty, your math is perfect. One more at six. <laughs> the onus was on them. <laughs> now, I've had other situations where players would come to me and say, Gary, that was an awful call, and I knew it. I said, you know what, you're right, I missed it. But the guy's sitting there, and he said, you owe us one now. And I would immediately say to them, listen, two wrongs don't make a right. Please do me a favor. Kill the penalty. Get us both off the hook. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Great, great stuff. I, I got to throw another one at you real quick because I believe I heard the other day, um, and I'm, I'm, I know you've seen this. Uh, correct me if I've got the parties incorrect. 25 years ago, uh, anniversary just the other day, of the famous confrontation between, I believe it was Koharski and Schoenfeld, when Schoenfeld <laughs> was a coach for, uh, I believe it was the Jersey Devils. Again, correct me mm-hmm. if I've got the facts wrong. No, you got it right. Okay. Uh, did you ever have one that went to that extent? I probably had one that was worse. Uh, Tommy, <laughs> oh, <wow>. Webster, <laughs> Tommy Webster grabbed the stick. Uh, he, Webby was suffering an inner ear infection, and he was taking uh, the Z-Pak uh, steroid for the inner ear infection, and uh, it affected his emotions. And I gave uh, Larry Robinson, who was playing at the end of his career for the Kings, a misconduct. And Webby grabbed the stick out of a player's hand sitting on the bench, took it back in a javelin throw, and spear-chucked it 15, 20 feet uh, towards me, and it went waffling through the air and hit me in the skate, and I ejected him. Webby got a 10-game suspension and a $10,000 fine. He called me, great guy, called me and apologized and, and said that, listen, Kerry, it was this medication I'm on that caused me to go crazy and I'm really sorry. I said, Webby, if you can get into the Olympics and it's not a banned substance, <laughs> I said, you're going to win the javelin. You're going to win the gold medal. <laughs> but, you know, that game in, in uh, uh, New Jersey where Coho slipped off the mat and there was a lot of traffic there and, and he accused uh, Shawnee of, of pushing him. Yep. Uh, and, of course, we ended up with the fat pig comment oh, going exactly. on the donut. Uh, but uh, I was in Detroit waiting for the next game uh, in the Western Conference uh, the next night, and Bill Clement called me. He was with uh, ESPN at the time. He said, Kerry, what's going to happen? You know, there's no referees on the ice. What are you guys going to do? And I said, well, we've been told that our fellows were fired for not working that next game, and uh, unless we're assured that they're going to be reinstated, we're not going to work in Detroit either. Well, right up to uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I didn't know whether I was going to be taking the ice in Detroit. Uh, they had reserve officials on call, and uh, it all worked out with a, a legal uh, wow. intervention from our uh, our legal counsel. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, real fascinating. That's the fascinating. thing is I wrote about in, in the, the final call uh, in my book, uh, there's a whole chapter on on that situation. It's part of the New Jersey Devil uh, uh, chapter that I wrote. Wow. I, I, I should look that one up. I should look that one up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Still have yet to read your book. We got. We definitely have I to know, get I gotta look. I gotta get you know, that. I missed the call in 93, guys. This is the 20th anniversary of it. Uh, Toronto oh. fans uh, still have not uh, let me forget it when <laughs> in the Western Conference Final Game 6 in overtime with Glenn Anderson playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the yeah. penalty box for trying mm-hmm. to uh, run uh, uh, Rob Blake's head through the boards on a boarding call that I made. Uh, Gretzky clipped Doug Gilmore in the chin off a face-off and cut him. And I was blocked. I, I didn't see it. Uh, it resulted in a non-call. Mm-hmm. And on the next ensuing face-off, Gretzky scored the winning goal in overtime to force yep. the game seven back in Toronto. Gretzky had a five-point night. He said it was the best game of his uh, career <laughs> and uh, eliminated the Leafs, who were the Montreal Canadiens, were waiting to play the winner of that series. It would have been a Toronto-Montreal final. Everybody was licking their chops in Canada, and uh, they sir blame me as the guy that uh, prevented that from happening. Yeah, is that why you walk around Toronto with a Richard Nixon mask on? <laughs> Actually, I wear a hat, and nobody recognizes me. <laughs> oh, because we don't know the hair. <laughs> that's that's, that's why the, the Toronto reference uh, from yesterday, right, Jonathan? That's the uh, reference there? Yes, yes. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, you're talking about the Leaf Nation fans, right? <laughs> You know, I got to tell you guys, the the poor, the poor referees right now, uh, they're forced into making calls on the boarding and the dangerous hits and things. And typically, you know, if we go back to a different era and the intensity of playoff body checks and let them go, let them play kind of stuff, yeah. and the fans love it. But we're in a situation now, uh, post lockout, post lockouts, uh, and with the scrutiny of dangerous hits. Uh, Griba being an example of it, an end result being factored in. These guys have to make the calls uh, where dangerous hits result. And, Definitely. you know, Vancouver is, is still wild uh, and their fans about the penalty that was called in overtime uh, on uh, Daniel Sedin when he uh, boarded yep. Tommy Wingles, causing him to fall headfirst into the boards from about six feet away. That's a must call, and and the referees have to make that call. They're forced to make that call, and players have to understand that they should not put themselves uh, in a position to force the ref to make that call. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, good point. Good point. Definitely a good point. Always a pleasure and a treat, Kerry, when you come on to get uh, the insight and uh, the history. I I just love it. And uh, for uh, Jonathan and myself, we thank you for coming on with us on our 100th show. Well, thanks, boys. It's uh, it's an honor to be on with your 100th show. It's a, it's a milestone uh, for sure, and may you have thousands more. Thank you very much. We Thank you, Kerry. Kerry. Okay, boys. You take care now. Bye bye. Great stuff. Great guy. Great guy, man. You know, it's uh, you know, like I said, man. It was those days where I would point my finger at uh, you know TV and go, Kerry Fraser, you you know, and start yelling profanities at him, you know, over a missed call, or whatever. But uh, you know, it's Luckily, we get to do the show, Mike, so we can learn the other side of these guys. And, well, yeah. uh, you know, phenomenal person. Absolutely. And, you know, that goes right back to what I said at the top of the show here, is that by doing this, we've had so many opportunities to meet people. Uh, and, you know, had we not had the opportunity to talk to Kerry the first time and now again for our second time on the, on this radio uh, show, yeah. we would you and I would probably still be walking around with kind of the same impression about Kerry Frazier. Yeah, we'd be walking around uh, as Toronto Leafs fans. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, Mike, you know what, man? I think it's time for another 
sound clip, and I know this was something that, yeah, you know, you had, you were very happy about when we did our racing week, our NASCAR week. Yep. And uh, coming on with us was uh, NHRA uh, dragster John Caps. Yeah. And um, I know there's an interesting little sound clip you want to play, Mike, and it was kind of, uh, you know, John Caps. I wouldn't say ribbing me along, Mike, but. Well, he, I, I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if this, if that's actually in this particular piece. Oh, it's of not. Okay. No, I, I think there is. I think there is something in there about it. But, uh, yeah, for you know, if anybody, if anybody's not watched drag racing before, you get a little bit of a feel for it here, uh, in the way uh, John describes it. And let me let me get that in here so that we're, so that uh, we'll we'll be ready to go with our next guest coming up. Let me play this from uh, John Caps. Uh, driving funny cars is pretty nutty. I mean, there's a lot going on. The dragsters and the funny cars both have the same power plant. It's, um, you know, we're, we're putting out somewhere between nine and 10,000 horsepower, and the dragsters have a 300-inch wheelbase, and ours is about half of that. Right. So as you can imagine, it's a lot more difficult to get the funny car down the track uh, than it is a longer wheelbase dragster. Uh, actually, if anybody who's out here wants to kind of check out, you said put you behind the wheel. If you go to my YouTube channel, I've got some in-camera or in-car stuff on there that's uh, pretty amazing in, in the big show, Micro Funny Car. And as well, I, I drive the Jungle Gym Nostalgia Funny Car. And there's some in-car camera stuff that I have on my helmet that uh, it definitely puts you exactly right in the seat and the sound, and, and it's, it's pretty amazing. So if, you have, if you've never seen any of the in-car camera stuff, Definitely check out my uh, my YouTube, which is I think uh, John Caps seven hundred two. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it just looks intense. And uh, what are some of the uh, top speeds that you can hit in those cars? Well, what we're doing right now, um, my brother has. Uh, I think he's one of the fastest runs ever at a cover a uh, thousand feet. We don't go to the full quarter mile anymore because of um, some of the different uh, problems that we've had. We tried to slow the cars down a little bit, so now we go right. to a thousand foot. Um, so we're uh, covering the thousand foot in roughly four seconds. Yeah. My brothers run faster than four point zero zero seconds. Right. Um, you know, from zero to you know over three hundred and uh, ten, three hundred fifteen miles an hour. Right. Jeez. Mm-hmm. That's insane. All right, it's awesome. The one of the one of the cooler things about it, I mean, for anybody who's ever you know worked on their own car or, or changed the oil or you know changed spark plugs or anything like that, even that uh, simple. Yeah. Real magic takes place back in the pits. Yeah. And one of the things about the NHRA drag racing uh, is you get a chance to go right up to the hauler and watch the teams service these vehicles. And um, it takes them a little over, we'll say 35 minutes, we'll even say 40 minutes to be safe, um, to completely disassemble the engine, change the pistons, put a new clutch pack in it, reassemble the engine, and warm it up. It is the most amazing thing to see, and it is done with absolute precision. These guys break this down almost to the block and rebuild well, yeah, it. Yeah, sometimes we do have to go down to the block, and it's yep. like they're army ants, man. They just yep. kind of attack it, and parts are just coming off, and then you, you turn around to talk about it, and next thing you know, the engine's back together. And like, now, last year was a, uh, wow, it came right down to the end for Ron, huh? Yeah, and it's so it was oh, wow. so rough. I mean, it. I was calmer in a funny car driving, you know, one of these nine thousand horsepower machines down the track. I was more comfortable doing that than sitting around watching all weekend. You know, it was like the highest amount of of drama that you could possibly get. He wound up losing by two points. Two points. Um, yeah, and in our competition, every round of eliminations that you win, you earn twenty points. 
Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we get qualifying points, you know, throughout the weekend. And so basically it came down to, you know, a couple of qualifying points. Yeah. It, it was it was really, when you know, it's funny when you say it was drama, you know, for folks that perhaps maybe have not watched drag racing, uh, you know, one heat is done in about three seconds. Three and a half seconds, bam, they're down the they're down the stretch, and you must be thinking to yourself, "Wow, how could there be any drama with that?" But my gosh, it I mean, I, we were actually sitting here at the frat house. We were sitting on the edge of our seat watching it uh, right up until that very last round. I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah, it was it was a, a full day. I mean, the championship in in the other professional category, the, the top field dragsters, came down to <clears throat> the last two rounds of eliminations of the whole season, um, yeah. and so you know there was. There was drama in both categories, and unfortunately, uh, my brother wound up uh, in second place again. He's, I think he's fourth times he's been uh, runner-up. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct, right? Yeah, I think that's correct. Now, and you're not running in, at Pomona, right? Um, no, I'm not. Okay, Ron is. Ron is, yeah. Of course Ron is, yes. <laughs> um so what uh, what are your duties this uh, weekend uh, out at the Winter Nationals? Well, this weekend, you know, at the races that you know I'm not running at, I uh, typically go around and, and talk with you know, vendors and some sponsors that I'm associated with, uh, different teams, trying to find you know any way to try and get out on the uh, on the circuit on a full time basis. Yeah. So a lot of it's kind of just doing some marketing, PR, and kind of just making sure I keep my face out there for any. Yeah. Uh, potential rides that might become available. Okay. You know, I, uh, part of the problem that you've been, you've had, and you, you you pointed it out at the at the top of the show, uh, getting sponsorship, getting sponsorship in a full time basis to have a team and put together a car on a regular basis. And and that's yeah, been it, a problem. That's been a problem not just for NHRA. I mean, we're seeing that problem across auto racing. We're seeing that problem in NASCAR. Yeah, you're seeing it in, in, in NASCAR, IndyCar. I mean, even F1 right now has uh, – there's one car left, I think, that uh, has an empty seat, and it's all about who's bringing money into the program. And, you know, these these, these things aren't cheap to, to run, and they, they're monsters, and they just devour parts, and so you have to keep throwing parts at them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that takes a lot of money to do. And so uh, it's one of those things where you have to kind of figure out, like from my side of things, either, you know, you're lucky enough to have – a guy you can you know put on salary to go out and search out money for you. Companies that want to get involved in, on an advertising basis, or marketing, or however you want to put the package together. Or like myself, you know I don't have the funds to hire somebody to go find the money, so I had to smarten up and try and figure out what makes it make sense for these companies to want to get involved in in the uh, NHRA drag racing series. So it's I wear more than one hat. You know I mean the the easy part for me is getting in the car. That's when I get more relaxed. But everything leading up to it is is complete mayhem, from cold calling companies to sending out packages yep. to talking with people and and, and really showing them the value. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure you probably have. I, I mean, just roughly, to put a car, uh, let's say a funny car, on the track for an entire year, an entire season, and you make every what are there twenty twenty four? I think there's twenty four. Uh, yeah, we had 23, but they just added uh, Epping, New Hampshire, so now right. we have 24 races on the season. What would it cost for one car for the entire season? You know, you're you're looking on a on a on a a lighter budget anywhere between you know a million and a half to two million dollars a year. Okay. Wow. Right. I actually thought it was going to be a bit more. 
Well, yeah, you know, it. Uh, there are a lot of teams out there that do run on a lot better budget, a lot bigger budget, but they have uh, you know larger name uh, crew chiefs. They have giant hospitality tents, which you absolutely need, in my opinion, you know, to make it a worthwhile event for a sponsor. And uh, you know, they've got multiple. Uh, semi-trailers to go down the road with a machine shop in one and spare parts in the other. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, it's a big, big deal, you know? Yeah, it sure is. All right, and that clip came from our February 15 program uh, where we had funny car driver uh, John Caps on. Great stuff. Great stuff right there. Yeah, it was fun. And, uh, John, if you're listening today, I still want that VIP access to English Town. There you go. That's coming up, actually, uh, Jonathan, uh, in uh, two weeks, I believe. Two weeks. Oh, yep. You guys going? Yep, we are, and uh, in fact, i got to get in touch with John and see whether we can get the VIP passes. Yeah, so, let me know, uh, man. We'll talk about that one, and we'll get you over that. Down to go. All right, I believe we got our second uh, live guest on with us today, and uh, yep. this is uh, Chucky Brown. Let me get Chucky in here. Chucky, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Very good. We appreciate you coming on with us for our 100th program today. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm glad to be a part of that. I know last time we had John, Chuck, you were down at Disney World. Are you there again today? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not at Disney World today. I would like to be there, though, again. I would like to be there again. Oh, that's a great place, though. We'd love to be there ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's a lot, you got to spend a lot of money down there, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Chucky, Jonathan and I were talking pre-show, and uh, as I just pointed out, this is our – we're kind of doing a, a bit of a celebration because this is our 100th production of Fan Junkies Radio, and right. we were talking about all the different programs we've done, and we're kind of doing a reprise of some of our better shows, and uh, the one that we had you on way back in November 26th, I believe it was, without right. a doubt, one of the most entertaining and most <laughs> listened to programs that we had. Uh, the, okay, response we'll we had the response we had from our audience was just was tremendous, uh, okay. and, and the comments were just how entertaining it was, so we we wanted to make sure we got you back in. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, let's jump right into it. And, Chucky, it's right. the NBA playoffs, man. we got to talk about this with you. And, right. uh, you know, right off the bat, Heat and Bulls tied up one game apiece. Um, did you think that the Bulls would actually win a game against this powerful Miami Heat team? And do you think that your know, Bulls have what it takes to actually take the Heat out of the playoffs? I thought they would win the game. Um, I didn't think it would be game one, though. Uh, the way they came in, they came in on a roll, and uh, Miami was, was pretty much well-rested. I thought Miami would come out and play with a lot more energy and aggression, uh, but they didn't. The Bulls were the ones with the aggression. I don't I don't think that they have what it takes um, to get the heat out of there, but I do think they have what it takes to maybe uh, expose some weaknesses that the heat may have. Um, so I, I don't think they'll take them out, but they'll they'll show they'll show uh, and they'll they'll wear them down a little bit uh, for the next uh, the next team to play them, whether it's Indiana or New York. They'll wear them down a little bit, but I yeah. don't know if there's anyone that's going to be strong enough to really take them out in seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we we've been talking about this on some of the past episodes here. Now this whole stuff revolving around Derrick Rose and how yeah. he was cleared up to uh, two and a half months ago by doctors to return. But yet, he's not playing, and this is a very important series for the Chicago Bulls. Um, Do you think it's right that Derrick Rose, I mean, you know, not right that he has the final say to come in, but considering that he is cleared to play, 
uh-huh. that he's not playing. I mean, what do you think of that with uh, Derrick Rose? Well, it's up to him. I yeah. think because if he doesn't feel it, if he doesn't mm-hmm. feel right, uh, yeah. this is not really the time to step into it. I mean, this is really high intensity, and for him to be thrown back out there at this pace, he needs to to maybe get like uh, a, a bad team to play against, maybe Orlando or somebody like that to to get. You know, like a boxer, a boxer has a a bunch of pre fights before he gets into the ring with the big <laughs> fight. Yeah, so right. it, it's sort of like he needs a bunch of those type of, you know, opponents in order to get his confidence back. And if he doesn't feel it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm right along there with him. If he doesn't feel like going out there because it's his life at the end of the day. You know, yeah. So if he doesn't feel like going, and if, and if the Bulls don't like it, then cut him. You know, you cut him, you know, he, he can he can do that. He has the power to do that. So I mean, do that. You no, know, if it was me in my situation, I probably had to get out there and play. because yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't as good as him. So I mean, it's different. So if he can do that, hey, do it. I've got no problem with it. And I think coming back now would be a little bit too much pressure for him. He's got to blend in. I mean, he's got to fit to how the team is playing. They don't. They no longer have to fit to him. He has yeah. to fit to them because he he's been out so long. So he he's going to have to be sort of a role player and play his way up. You know, back to the status where he was. If he comes back right now, so I think it's the best. It's the best thing for him to just sit out and come back, and you know, maybe play in the summer league and and be ready for next year. Yeah, yeah. Chucky, I don't want to put words in your mouth. However, uh-huh. I've heard some analysts feel that perhaps maybe this is an issue with Derrick Rose of confidence, and it sounds right. to me like maybe you're saying the same thing. Are you saying right. this is a confidence issue with with Derrick Rose? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a confidence issue as far as, you know, because he was an explosive player. It wasn't like he was a non-athletic player like, say, you know, like a Zach Randolph type guy is a below-the-rim type of guy. And yeah. Zach Randolph, I think he tore his ACL or popped his Achilles or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be as hard for him to come back because he wasn't really a, a hard flyer. I mean, it'd be hard for him to come back, but not as hard and the confidence level is different because Derek, you know, Derek Rose is an explosive player. I know I broke my foot one time and the, the the amount of time it took for me to get confidence just to land on my right foot, it, right. it was, you know, it, it was always there. When I jumped, it was always there. And it, then one day it was just like something happened where I came down on it and wasn't thinking about it. And it was like, oh, okay, I can do that again. Right, you know, right. So that's, he, he's going to have to have that I can do that again moment. And I, I definitely think it's a confidence thing because you know, he's, just, he's just such an explosive player and he won't be – he he doesn't feel like he's right back there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I know the fans are going ballistic out in Chicago. I know Chicago <laughs> media is giving the fans an outlet to basically intimidate Derrick Rose, uh, you know, into returning. You know, right. as a former player and now as a scout and everything else, do you think that's wrong what they're doing out in Chicago to D Rose? Uh, I, yeah, I think it's wrong, man. Just, just yeah. you know, just just if he plays, let it be up to him. Stop bringing his name up because even if he comes back to play, I don't think they beat the Heat. No. So, you know, they, they already injured. Luol Dang is out. Uh, Kirk Heinrich is out. And now Derrick Rose is out. Now, if they had full strength with all those guys healthy, I think they got a shot to beat him. But, mm-hmm. you know, those guys are not there because I think Luol Dang, he, he can offset what LeBron does. Um, you know, so and, and Derrick Rose, I don't think that the, the – um, the Bulls, uh, have, I mean, not the Bulls, but the Heat have a matchup for him because they're having a problem with Nate Robinson. You know, yeah. so they would definitely have a problem with Derrick Rose as well. So, and he creates so much for other people. So, 
I say, you know, just let him come back next year. You come back healthy. When you find out what's wrong with Lou Alding, Kirk Herman comes back healthy. There's no rush, you know, because you really uh, – you weren't supposed to get out of the Brooklyn series, really. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, uh. so, don't, so don't – yeah, so don't push it, man. I think that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, honestly, in my opinion, being a basketball fan and, and a player and everything, is uh, I think they're actually missing Luol Deng and Kirk Heinrich more right now than they are Derrick Rose. Because as you said, it's not D Rose that they have to fit to. It's you know, it's going to be the opposite way. And I think Heinrich did a hell of a job, you know, covering for D Rose this season. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Right. I, I agree. And I know Chicago fans are hoping if they can somehow get to Game Seven that uh, Derrick Rose is going to Willis read his way into uh, Game Seven. But I don't. <laughs> That's not yeah, happening. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, well, okay, let's let's go there for a moment, uh, uh, Chucky. Looking at the playoffs as you see it right now, who do you who who are you favoring to win the whole thing? Uh, I'm still favoring the Heat to win it all. Um, okay. I think I, I do think that if Memphis can get there, if they can get there, I think Memphis will pose the biggest problem for them because of the way they play, wow. because they pounded inside. And I don't think that the Heat have the bodies uh, to, to to be able to play with them on the inside. I think Zach Randolph and Marcus. So I mean, that's just a, a tough combination right there. You you bang on them all game, I and mean, you're gonna be looking for the ice tub after the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we we're not. I guess we can't say that we're shocked that Memphis is in the second round. I am playing so good. <laughs> I know you are, Mike, but that's because you're really, you know, uh, you know, into basketball this season, really, you know, watching it. But, uh, you know, the Grizzlies have played great all season long, and then the trade deadline comes, and right. they shot Rudy Gay. Everybody's like, you know, you know, what in the hell are they doing? You know, because they're right. playing so good. You're getting rid of one of their, you know, great players. They haven't missed a step. Yeah. No. No, and they got better. They actually got better defensively. They, 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 they lost. Some offensive firepower, they lost that, but they got so much better defensively because of a guy like Tayshawn Prince who can guard multiple players uh, on the floor. I mean, he's having a rough time with um, Kevin Durant, but everybody has a rough time with Kevin Durant. If he can just, you know, make his shots tough, he'll be fine. Yeah, I don't think anybody has an easy time with Kevin. <laughs> yeah, you know, guys. Guy's amazing. Now let's talk about one of your former teams real quick, the Spurs. Uh, you know, sitting here in the playoffs, right. they are one up in the series now with uh, Golden State Warriors. Do you think that age is hitting them a little bit right now in the playoffs? Um, I think that they ran into the wrong opponent because of how fast these kids play. Uh, but yeah, it, it may be showing a little bit. But what the Spurs have been trying to do is push the ball with them. The Spurs need to play Spurs basketball. They slow the game down. Right. Just slow the game down, and that's what they need to do. They don't need those scores to get up in the hundreds. They need to keep the score in the in the mid nineties, somewhere like that, low eighties, mid nineties. If they can do that and slow the game down, they got a better shot because they they don't have a chance, and they they will lose. They will be out of here quickly if they keep trying to run up the floor with Golden State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who do, you, who do you see coming out of the West? Who's going to represent the West? Um, uh, I'm 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 going I'm going to roll with Memphis. I'm going to roll if they can if they I can get past, I think they can beat Oklahoma City. Um, I think they can beat them because I just don't think that that you know just the way that they play. As long as they don't get out there and shooting all these three point shots, which they don't do, they pound that thing inside, and they force you to do something. You know, they force you to change you know, your game plan a little bit. So uh, I'm I'm going to see them going because I think the Spurs are in a little bit of trouble here with uh, Golden State because I think that place is going to be rocking. And those those dudes shoot the ball very well already on the road, and they're gonna really light it up at the house. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think if Golden State gets back uh, David Lee and, you know, starts to play a little healthy, I think that could be a problem for San Antonio. So. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. But I like that. I mean, the Grizzlies heat finals. I, That's I, a, I, yeah, that that actually is rather compelling. Yeah, I don't think anybody had that. You know, in the beginning, right. I don't care what kind of expert you are in this game. I don't think anybody called the Memphis Grizzlies going into the NBA Finals. That's great. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Now, Knicks Pacers, where do you see that going? I think the Knicks beat them. I think the Knicks beat them. Um, I thought the Pacers came in and and they hit them in the mouth uh, game one. Um, you know, it really was the first time for Carmelo, I guess, getting in the second round. It's the first time they won a series in a while or something like that. So, you know, they hadn't they hadn't been they they hadn't they didn't realize that, you know, each round the intensity gets greater. So, uh Indiana, uh they got to the second round last year. All those guys were there. So yeah. uh with the exception of the one guard, uh, the little guard they got coming off the bench they got from Charlotte. I forget his name. DJ Augustine. Um, yeah. I think he probably, you know, was is a, is the newer addition. But those other guys, they've been there before, so they yeah. they they know how to close a series. They know how to open one up. So they opened it up and hit the Knicks in the mouth. But I think the Knicks, uh, I think the Knicks win uh, the series. But it's going to be tough. It might be six or seven games, but I think the Knicks win. Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, if the Pacers had a healthy Danny Granger, I think that would be a real problem for New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would that would be a, a, a <laughs> that would be a big issue. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, especially with the, uh, you know, guys that the Knicks really depended on early on in the season, uh, you know, Jason Kidd and, and even Jared Smith, who ha- hasn't really been playing good basketball. But, I mean, Kenyon Martin has been huge for this Knicks team. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they need, he's a playoff type of guy, and I knew once the referees decide that they're not going to call some fouls, they're not going to call fouls, you just yeah. put Kenyon Martin out there and let him act a fool, and they'll start calling some fouls. They'll start because he's a rough guy. He's a rough yeah. guy, so and, and that's his type of game. So and if, if they're not careful, I mean, he hurt somebody. So if you don't want anybody getting hurt, you better call some fouls. So I was glad to see <laughs> that the Knicks put Kenyon Martin out there. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? After they lost Rasheed Wallace, I was like, man, what are they going to do? Are they going to either you know take Martin off the scrap heap, or are they going to try to you know talk Oakley to come out of retirement or something, man? Because uh-huh. you know, they needed somebody in there. Right. <laughs> uh, so you know, you know, I have to ask you this. Uh, you know, we spoke about it the last time. Twelve NBA teams, Chucky. Okay. And um, you know, seriously, man, is the thirteenth coming or what? Nah, <laughs> nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I, I like sitting back, watching, and doing the scouting thing, and giving my opinion. I like doing that a whole lot better. Uh, <laughs> at least at this age, at this age right now. If I was in my twenties, yeah, I'd, I'd think about it. But now nah, I'm. I'm 45 now, and I, no, I'm good. Because uh, if, you know, if you want the fan junkies crew here, man, we'll put a petition on uh, WhiteHouse.gov, man. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> we'll get the president. Hey, I, 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 can, I can come back and make a shot or two, though. I can come back and make a shot or two. Well, you know that. You know that. <laughs> right. But uh, that's a great segue because, uh, Chucky, I was reading uh, an article last night uh, over on NC, over on the NC State Wolfpack uh, website, which – NC State is where you went to school from 85 to 89. Right. Uh, and the article on here was from, I guess, about a year ago. Uh, oh. Chucky Brown found success at NC State and in the NBA. Uh, I know you know the article, but in there it indicates uh, now he dreams of coaching in the college game. Uh, any right. word on that? Any word on that? Can we can we find you coaching a, a college team to the NCAA tournament anytime soon? Uh, I don't know about any time soon. I guess when the time is right, it'll happen. Uh, but I, w- I would like to coach uh, 
uh, in college. I think that, um, you know, just, just from working in the developmental league, a lot of these, uh, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but a lot of these, well, maybe I am trying to disrespect them. Yeah, a lot of these college coaches, ain't, they ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not teaching these kids the things they're supposed to be teaching them. So, I mean, there's yeah. a very few coaches out there that's doing it. And, and you know, when you get their kids, they already know how to play. Like, you know, Rick Pitino does it right. Coach K does it right. Uh, Roy Williams does it right. You know, the, the kids coming out of those programs, they know how to play. But a lot of kids coming out of every program, they don't know how to play. The, the college coaches are not teaching them anything. They, a lot of these college coaches, I think, are collecting a nice check, which, yep. you know, I can't be mad at them for that. But, you know, they're not they're not doing their job. When they send them to the developmental league, you know, now, you know, when you, when you, when you become a pro, you got to be ready to play off the top or you're not going to have your job long because they ain't got time to wait for you. No. Chucky, what would you do? I mean, uh, to me, I see it as a real problem in college basketball, and that is – these kids coming in, playing one year, and then going right. out to the NBA. And it really, right. really, it really, really burns me up when I hear coaches like Calipari say, hey, what can I do? There's nothing I can do about it, and why should I try to stop them anyhow? And he just kind of throws his hands in the air. I think coaches have a responsibility to make sure that these kids are staying in a little bit longer. How would you address yeah. it? Uh, well, I think there should be some type of rule where – they have to stay uh, two or three years in cut, just like the football rule. But, yep. but, but with that being said, they got to pay these kids something because a lot of these kids come from poor families. I know when I came out of school, I didn't have no money. I called home for some money. My father would be like, "Well, you know, maybe next week, next week when I get my check, I'll be able to send you something." I'm like, "Next, week, I need it now." Yeah. You know what yeah. So, I mean, they gotta they gotta pay these kids something. The, the NCAA has got a big chest. To, to be able to play, to be able to pay these kids something. I mean, they, they make a billion dollars off the NCAA tournament alone. Yep, yep. You can't tell me that they can't to pay the kids. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. All right. Do we have Chucky there? No, I think we lost him. Hello? Oh, there he goes. Hello? Uh, okay. Hello? You're back. <laughs> All right, we've been having issues with our – platform here today our blog talk radio platform but okay just oh. want to make sure we had you but no I, yeah, appreciate, right I appreciate your comments and you're absolutely right i mean i just did a whole article the other day on the ncaa uh this the, the the ncaa is an organization that is i mean just flush with money uh right. 600, 600 million dollars in assets the ncaa has 71 million dollar surplus from last year alone uh right. and you may you know you might make a good point I know that a lot of people have frowned on it, the concept of paying uh, collegiate players, but maybe the time has come. Yeah, the time has come, man. It's come, it's come and gone. Yeah. It's come and gone because, you know, you get a lot of these kids that, you know, a lot of them, they come from, they come from nothing. Yeah. But, you know, and then they try to sell you this dream, talking about, well, we're giving you a free education. I need a free education and then some. <laughs> yeah, right, you know, right. You're making way more. You're making way off of that more off of my scholarship. You're getting way more money than you know. You know what, what's coming to me. You know I'm getting way more than a free. You know if my if my scholarship costs you know for an in-state student, you know uh, fifty thousand. So what fifty times fifty thousand times four? That's two hundred thousand. You're making right. two hundred thousand a season off of some of these kids. So come on, man. Exactly. Let's do the math here. One plus one is two. Well, I, when you consider, too, that some of these coaches are just making disgusting amounts of money themselves annually exactly. from the programs, uh, you know, it, it seems to me we've got to have some parity someplace. 
And and also, you know, the coaches are able to leave whenever they want to. Like Steve Offer was at New Mexico. They offered him like a seven- or eight-year deal or something. And then he left and went to UCLA. And he coached yeah. right away where yeah. a kid leaves school and he got to sit out a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, do, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. Yep. No. Refreshing, well, refreshing uh, comments there, Chucky. Thank you. Well, Chucky, you know what I say, man? I say forget college b-ball, put your name in a hat, return home, man, and coach the Brooklyn Nets, man, because they need it. Hey, I'll do that. <laughs> Come back home, man, because they ain't getting Phil Jackson. They definitely ain't getting Jerry Sloan, man, so they need a coach. Right. I, I could do that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get the petition going over on uh, We the People. <laughs> get that Get that petition started. We'll, I'm, we'll I'm behind you a thousand percent. We'll send that one over to you, Chucky, and get it moving around. Okay. <laughs> Listen, man, you got a ring. You got power. So that's right. That's right. I got the ring too. <laughs> yeah, you'll be champion in Brooklyn, man. You you know what? You'll be king. Hey, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. <laughs> All right, Chucky, man. It's uh, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on our 100th episode, man. And we definitely, definitely want to have you back on in the future. All right. Well, thanks for having me, man. All right, Chucky. You take care now, man. All right. And congratulations. Thank you very Thank- much. All right, bye-bye. Great guy, man. I love Chucky. He is so entertaining. I mean, that's just the word, entertaining. And again, you know, Jonathan, we've been so fortunate to have guests on with us through our 100 shows. Just, you know, forthcoming, honest, you know, telling it like it is. Yeah, you know what? And like we said, we've made some very good friends. You know, I consider Carrie, I consider Chucky, and I've considered so many others that we had on friends of the program now, you know, because they're just so willing to come on and help us and to be candid with us and to talk about just about anything. It's so much fun, Mike. It really is. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, this isn't work, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we're going to bring in Jim right now, so if yeah. you add him on Skype, Mike, because it won't let me do it because you're hosting right now. Oh, okay. Hold on. Coming uh, in right now with us is uh, let me see what you I know, somebody that helps us out here a lot on Fans Rookies Radio when either Mike or myself are sick or he calls in as a, uh, you know, a third co-host, and that's uh, Jim Williams and, uh, you know, Jameson Williams. We call him here on Fans Rookies Radio. Um, he should be here any second. Jim, what's going on, bud? Carrie Frazier. There you go. Carrie <laughs> Frazier, Chucky Brown, Jim Williams. There you go. The triple which, threat of sports radio. Which one of these is not like the other? Which one of these just doesn't belong? Can you guess which one is not like the other before I go and finish the song? Anyway. But you, you know, I, I'm surprised, Jim, that you're not, like, you know, giving uh, Jonathan there a bit of a tongue lashing because he missed a perfect segue. He's going on about... Uh, how we've made such great friends, great friends, and then he drops the ball by, you know, not going right to saying, hey, but let's bring in a really great friend, Jim Williams. Well, well see, Mike, you're a communications major. You get this. <laughs> John, of course, John has been a friend of mine before this show. <laughs> that's so. right. That's very valid. John majored in recess at college. and uh, <laughs> I majored in lunch. Oh. Hey, as you can tell by my physique, so have I. <laughs> well, that's how we became such good friends, Jim. Extra credit, my friend. Extra credit. <laughs> oh, was that the when you finished that extra tater tots? Man. I was going to say, was that the lunchroom table, huh? Fighting over a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Hey, no. Jeff, hey, no, be, no. Be, 
No, no, no. PB&J, as long as you have some milk, it's a good thing. So. <laughs> Don't let that like, peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. Anyway, yes. Thanks for joining us, though, Jim. It's a great, uh, you it, know, Hunter's show and all. I, I, we appreciate it. I should do my Willard Scott voice. Happy birthday from Schmuckers. How sweet it is. Hundred shows. Oh. <laughs> all right, well, before we get into anything, we have to hear a word from our sponsor, and that's the oh, WIFL. Yeah, let me get yeah. that. All right. Hi, I'm Kylie Fainall of the WIFL. I want to tell all of you about the next generation of women's athletics. The Women's Indoor Football League is the first professional women's organization where the athletes get paid for what they bring to the field. The WIFL is currently holding its first nationwide tryout tour. Don't miss your chance to be a part of professional football history. Go to www.wiflfootball.com to find the tryout closest to you. And don't forget to check out great workout gear from Respect the Sweat at respectthesweat.com. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you, WIFL, and our very good friend Ray Blanchett for sponsoring today's anniversary show. It's great. Yes, most definitely. And uh, all the success in the world to the ladies and all the individuals involved in the WIFL. Yes, and of course, they play Motley Crue, man. You can't miss that I was going to say, uh, that was really, I was rocking. I, I wanted to hear a bit more of that. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, when we go off the air, Mike, I'll uh, lend you my CD. <laughs> All right, there you go. A couple of scratches on it. You may want to get the oh. uh, buffer for that, so yes. Yes. Oh. Well, you know, Jim, we, you know, we were talking earlier about some of our most memorable programs, and I think uh, last Friday when you were on with us, I th- I, you know, I think that has to go down. Well, thank you, I think. Because we had a great, great time, and uh, I know you and I were uh, sober. pretty candid. We were sober, believe we it or not. We were sober. I mean, we weren't uh, doing any I, kind I of... I was sober. I don't know about you guys. I mean, you know. That's... Uh, you never know. Well, you never Mike, know. Well, well, Mike usually wakes up drunk, so... That, uh, that might be true, actually. Especially on Fridays. Being... Particularly Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> it goes with being at the frat house. I understand that. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. Yes. Let's not yes. forget where we are. Yes, yeah. indeed. Well, no. you know, we have a couple of stories to talk about. So, Jim, I'm going to read some of these off, and uh, you know what? Let's throw out some of our opinions here on these uh, during the last hour here of our 100th episode. And uh, this has to do of, with the Miami Dolphins, Mike. We talked a little bit about this uh, post-game show, and you thought this was very, very cool. I do. But what the Miami Dolphins want to do is they want to put an aircraft carrier in downtown Miami, and they actually want to play a game on the deck of a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier. Jim, what would you think of a game? Well, I mean, it is the Miami Dolphins. I know nobody really wants to see them, but sure. if this game was played on the deck of a Navy aircraft carrier? Well, first and foremost, you get more people there. Uh, I think that's a, a foregone conclusion. This isn't, of course, something that's completely out of the ordinary. The last couple of years, there have been basketball games played yes. on various uh, uh, decks of uh, you know military uh, uh, fleets, if you will. But that also presents that those also presented problems because you could have raining on one side of the court and wind factors and what have you. Wouldn't be as bad with football. I'm all for it, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I think it. Yeah, I'm assuming this would be a preseason game. Well, or does it not say? it's it's basically they're doing this so they can uh, focus their attention on uh, bidding for Super Bowls 50 and or 51. Well, they, that that's not going to happen. If that's going to help their, that's it's not going to help their cost because they. How, yeah, I don't know how that would help. No. It's complete. Well, they they've shot themselves in the foot when it comes to completely vetoing renovations for whatever they're calling Sun Life Stadium these days. That's how they screwed that pooch. 
And, uh, you know, my buddy, Carl Chenier, our loyal friend and true from CLW83.com, he's a big believer that Super Bowl 50 is almost a foregone conclusion to maybe going to San Francisco. But now that they've got a, a new sponsorship, Levi's is coming in to sponsor, uh, I believe, the new San Francisco stadium. So Levi's. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a San Francisco-based company, so it makes perfect sense. I think they should get Wrangler and bring Brett Farvin. Yes, uh, with uh, Jen Sturger and everything. Be <laughs> so. Hey, but, but, hey, I mean, Jim, stop a, sending me photos, man. Uh, hey, 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 uh, you know, we're, we're tight. We're not that tight. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, the, the concept of playing football in an aircraft carrier deck, whoop-de-doo, I'm okay with it. It's a good way to promote uh, our military forces and what have you, and it's, again, like I say, it's going to put more butts in the seats than watching a game at – Ye old Sun Life Stadium, which I am convinced is going to become just like the Orange Bowl, it will slowly rot away. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Now, Mike, I know this would be a touch football game. I would much rather see a tackle football game. Like I told you in uh, the pre show, I would love to see somebody get sacked and drilled right off the deck into the water. <laughs> it's like NFL Blitz come to life. How awesome would that be? I just think the whole concept is is kind of neat, uh, and, and and I'd love to see it. I think it'd be hysterical, actually, to watch. Well, yeah. I mean, the the whole thing is, of course, an extension from various things: uh, basketball being played outdoors, hockey being played outdoors. It's it's trying to evolve the brands of sports, right? So this is this you're going to see more reinventing of the wheel, wheel and what have you, and. The only shame about this is if Bill Veck was alive, oh man, he'd be having, he would have been on this years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. This kind of stuff. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, you know, it looks fun, and. Uh, but this is I, a no fun league. But you know what, man? It's you know, in, you know, instead of doing like let's say the Dolphins versus the Raiders, two teams really nobody want to see. Why don't they do some type of a celebrity touch thing, but actually get real celebrities? And I'm not talking about dancing with the star celebrities. I'm oh. Celebrities. Kate Upton. Nobody's going to watch it, though, Jonathan. I don't think anybody would watch it. Well, listen, I, you know what, man? If you had uh, you know, if you had Mel Gibson, I mean, is he a celebrity anymore? Probably not. Oh, Mel Gibson? Wow. Wow. You know, taking passes from Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> I would watch that. Oh man! Quick name the first. Quick name the first Jewish quarterback you can think of. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> I, I guess he is. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that could be that could be. Hey, that could be a step in the right direction for diplomacy. Is what yeah, that could. You be. know what? Now let's see if you had others. So I was like, let's say if you had uh, aircraft carrier. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, who can we name? If you had uh, Joey Lawrence throwing passes to. If you had Joey Lawrence throwing passes to Ricky Schroeder, I wouldn't watch that. Or, or to or to Blossom herself, who's uh, back in acting with the the Big Bang Theory now. She does so. a damn good job on that show. She does. She does. That show. Great show. You know, we were running a really good 100 show, and all of a sudden it had just gone off the rails. And, so and, badly. Is there any coincidence? hour with Jim on. Can have fun. Uh, <laughs> let's see. The show runs off the rails, and Jim is on. Is there a coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Oh, your fault, Jameson. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to drink some Jameson right now. Thank you. All right, well, let's stay with the NFL trend here, and it's something we spoke about um, with you, Jim, actually, um, in terms of, um, you know, not being racist, but, you know, with the whole Native American stuff. 
And uh, Dan Snyder came out and he says, we will never, ever change the name of the Washington Redskins. And this is something we all spoke about, and we said, you know what, if um, you know the Native American base was making such a big deal out of this, you know, we could possibly see the Redskins changing their name. But it hasn't been them. You know, we never hear anything out of this. Mike, uh, from what you read, uh, you know, do you now see that the Redskins will never, ever change their name? Well, I mean, he said outright, apparently, uh, to the press, I, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, he said never, and he repeated it and said, and you can use all caps. Yeah. Uh, now, apparently there is uh, some sort of a lawsuit, uh, apparently, that is in the works or is currently under, I guess, uh, is, is going through the court system. Yeah, um, trademark. Yeah. Right, right. And it's being brought, it was being brought by a Native American. Uh, I'm trying to find the name here for a moment. Yeah, I'm looking right now, and that was... Uh, Amanda Blackhorse. Yes. She is a Navajo, and uh, she apparently is the plaintiff in the trademark lawsuit. Now, the question becomes one here. If, in fact, let's just say for a moment that the court were to rule in her favor, um, I, I don't know what the I don't know what the damages would pay. I don't know if she's suing uh, to force the Redskins to change their name mm-hmm. or if she's looking for some sort of damages. You know, I have no idea what the nature of the lawsuit is, but... I suppose, if in fact it were to be found in her favor, I suppose a judge could say, and I don't know, guys, help me out here. I'm not a, a you know, I don't have a, a juris doctor uh, degree. Yeah. Um, I would think that perhaps maybe a judge could come down and say, uh, you, you're remanded, you're remanded to change the name of the team. Now, what happens in that particular case? I, <sighs> you know what, I don't know. From what I'm reading now that, uh, you know, I'm uh, Amanda Black Force, uh, Black Horse, excuse me. Uh, you know, she filed a petition with the trademark board in 2006, but it was put on hold because there was another lawsuit, which was um, Haro versus Pro Football in in, in, in all, and um, that case ran its legal course with nothing happening. So now it's back in life, and you know, back to life. And that was back in 2009 mm-hmm. that I'm reading this interview here with Amanda Black Horse. So this has been going on, I guess, since 2009. Right. There is a. a possibility that this may never never even reach the court system and it could run its legal course as well just like nara versus uh pro football okay but mm-hmm. let me let me go to this question jonathan because you had rightly asked the question i guess about a week ago or so when we first brought this up yeah. and i i said the same thing i echoed the same sentiment to you and that is why is there so much fuss being made about this we're not hearing from native americans that are upset about it and yet apparently here's one now does one make a case or does this really need a class action it, in order I, to get our attention? I think it would need a class action. I know Amanda Blackhorse, she grew up on the Navajo Reservation. She graduated from the Haskell Indian Nations University in Kansas. Mm-hmm. I think if she was able to get that university and most of the Navajo Reservation on board with her, does she already? We don't know because we don't know the terms and everything that's in this um, trademark lawsuit. Uh, but I think if she had the backing of the Native American community, Mike, I think it would be a much bigger deal. I think it would have been in the court system way earlier than it is now. Okay, now let me ask you this question. I'm, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Sure. If, in fact, it was a class action and there appeared to be uh, a, a real groundswell of support coming from Native Americans, would you, in, would you then, would you, as a fan and as a sports analyst, a broadcaster, etc., 
would you sit there and say, okay, listen, Redskins, it's time you change your name. Would you and then – would that be enough to convince you? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I said that in the last program. I said, you know what, if they came out in a hole and said, listen, we are very upset over this. We are very insulted by it. This is, you know, uh, you know, blasphemy, and it's and it's, you know, against our people. That I can see, Mike, and then, you know, I would hate to see the Redskins name change because they've been around for so long. You know, right? It's always been the Redskins. I think even if they change their name, they will still be known as the Redskins to fans around pro football. Um, I would hate to see it happen, but it would something that would need to be happen. You know, it, it would need to be done. If that were the case, Jim, what do you think? Oh, man. The one resounding thing that just keeps matriculating in my mind is this. Why now and not 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago? Exactly. No. That's, that's, and I, listen, I'm sure there have been many cases brought forth about this in the past. I'm not denying that. But I, I don't know. It comes off when it's, like you mentioned, if it's a class action lawsuit involving a full uh, representation of a tribe as opposed to a single individual or small group of individuals, it's like two different fishes in the, in the same pond when it comes to trying to get the the message out there. If it's the tribe going after the team, you might see something happen. Otherwise, hail to the Redskins at this point. I, I don't think... I, I don't agree with Daniel Snyder on much of anything because uh, he's run that team into the freaking ground since he's mm-hmm. owned it, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't see that the Redskins' name is going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. Well, 30, 40, 50 years ago, let me address that one real quick with you, Jim. Sure. Uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, why now? Look, we're a much more litigious society now. That's number one. Of course. One. Yeah. Number two, though, when you go, if if you want to go back 30, 40, 50 years, well, my God, you know, we were barely recognizing African Americans at that point, let alone Native Americans. True, yeah, very uh, true. So I think this is really just more an issue of evolution, as more and more, uh, I guess, what's the word I want? Nationalities, etc. Uh, right. Fight for their recognition. This is really just nothing more than an, than an evolution of that. Yeah, where we become more of an embraceable melting pot of a society. Is Correct. What we've become in the last mm, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years, let's say. Right. But, I mean, it also comes back as, and it's, it's a little ironic to a certain extent, here's a team that's name was kind of, uh, you know, based off of, you know, the Native Americans, and they pretty much are making money hand over fist on the Native Americans. And now it's a situation where some Native Americans want to do the exact same thing that the team is doing to them. Well, okay. Which, which, which you know, I see both sides of it. I see yeah. both sides of it. That's yeah. all I'm saying. It, it's... Yeah. Money talks BS walks. That's what it's all about. Well, yeah. that's an interesting bit of irony, though, you bring up there. Yes. yes. Well, you know what? Let me read this out you know, to you really quick. Uh, Cashmere Hill over at Above the Law did an interview with uh, Amanda Blackhorse, and uh, uh, he asked her, how did you get involved with this case with the Redskins? And she said, in 2005, a bunch of her and her friends decided to protest at a Redskins-Kansas City Chiefs game in Kansas City, and she was shocked to see the way that people were. They didn't consider us human beings. People threw beers at us, told us to go home, yelled racial slurs. After that, I knew I needed to do something. And uh, they asked her if she ever heard Redskin, uh, you know, has she ever heard Redskin used as a slur? And she said, yes, a lot of the times, and mostly people shorten it to skin. It makes her, um, her, her skin crawl. Then they also asked her, um, "What other names would you want to be, you know, see change?" And she said, "There are so many. I don't think it ends here. 
the Braves, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cleveland Indians, anything that uses Native American culture, we chose Redskins because it is, a, it is the most racist name you can call a Native American person. Now, if Amanda Blackhorse's petition succeeds, the Redskins would not be forced to change their name, but they would lose their trademark protection, likely resulting in a major, major loss of revenue. Yeah, uh, so, that, that's what it comes down to. It's not even so much the name as it is profit on the name, I think, no, to no, a certain degree. Notice her words, though. I, I, you know, I'd love to have that right in front of me because I'd really like to dissect that. Notice her words when she says something to the extent of, we chose the Redskins. Yeah. Well, it almost sounds like this is her 15 minutes of fame. Absolutely. Well, I mean, not really. I mean, if this has been going on since 2006, unfortunately, we're only hearing about it now. Yeah, but wait a minute. Notice what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm taking her words, and I'm, I'm parsing them, and yeah. I'm dicing it up. And when she says we chose the Redskins, uh, almost as if we're going to make them the target. Well, it's because of, you know, because a brave, an Indian, or a chief is not a racial slur. Redskin is a racial slur to a, you know, to a Native American. So that is why they would like to see the Redskins' name change first, is because it is a racial slur. I guess it would oh, be like if we, sure. named, you know, if we named the uh, New York team uh, the New York Cracker Killers, you know. That is a racial slur, but if we named them the New York Caucasians, it wouldn't be. Okay, but make no mistake, I think she's made her intention clear that we're not going to stop here. No, 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 absolutely you know, not. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, she, what, what she says, um, I'm trying to find it out now. Um, hold on one second. Uh, she says, names like this making us exist as mascots and symbols, she says, it makes it worse on her people. Hmm. Which and then is, we're going to be going, and then, of course, listen. We get done with the pro teams, you know, let's not forget, you know, we got to go after, we're going to go after the collegiate teams. And, uh, you know, look, we got a whole bunch of them in Major League Baseball. We got uh, the Blackhawks over there in Chicago in the NHL. I mean, I don't know. You know, it just, to me, it starts to spin out of control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Listen, you know what, man, if this is something that she absolutely believes in and, you know what, it's, you know, her people believe it's, you know, it's it's mocking them or whatever. I mean, you know what? Most of the Native American group, you have to see it, are older people. And, uh, you know, I, I guess they needed somebody that knew how to go after things like this. And it seems Amanda Blackhorse, uh, you know, is, is, is a very intelligent girl, you know, graduating from college and knowing how to, uh, you know, be able to go after trademarks. I mean, she's... She's going at it, I think, in the correct way, Mike. She's not suing them to change their name. She's going at them in trademark court. So in in a way, they say that it wouldn't be you know, forcing Dan Snyder to change the name of the Redskins, but in a way it will be because if he loses the trademark on the, Redsk uh, on the Redskins' name itself and the logo, that's going to be a loss in revenue for the team, and that's going to be a loss in a lot of revenue because that team jerseys. Hats, T-shirts. Well, that's going to put the Redskins sponsorships, the merchandise. I was absolutely. Say, make no mistake. This is that's going to that's going to hit the NFL in the pocketbook. Oh, absolutely. Sure. So now by doing that, I mean you have to give her the credit. She's using her intelligence here. No, no, wait a minute. Hold she on. Went at it the trademark way. Hold on. She listen. Make no mistake. She did not sit there one day back in 2005 or six and wake up and go, hmm, I know how I can do this. Listen, she's being advised. By no about I mean, she is the one that filed the petition herself. She's doing it without a lawyer. You don't need a lawyer to file the petition, in, in theory. Oh, yeah, so. no. She's the one doing it herself. Everything that's going on is her versus with, with, with absolutely no help from what I'm reading. Here, so here's the she, most – got to give her props for her intelligence for doing that. Here's the most damning thing, though. 
for and it's not just for this individual, but for all others. And I'm reading up on this as we're talking about it. And there have been movements since the oh late '80s, early '90s, trying to strike the name and change the name and what have you. There was a 2002 poll done by Sports Illustrated. Seventy-five percent of those American Indians that were surveyed had no objection to the Redskins' name. A follow-up poll, follow-up poll in 2004 from the Annenberg Public Policy Center Mm -hmm. at the University of Pennsylvania. Okay, and this is from American Indians from all 48 states of the contiguous United United States of America. Ninety-one percent of those Indians polled found the name Redskins acceptable. Okay, so you know it's. It's a small group. I mean, it's a small percentage, it seems, if these polls are anything to be taken with a grain of salt, that have a problem with it. I think, you know, you're yeah, going but you to... Know what, but, you know, but that goes in the case of every ethnic background, though. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's There's like... Where there was only three African Americans were insulted by something, but yet it was able to go, you know, through, and they were able to uh, succeed in getting, you know, whatever insulted them. You know, done it. They were able to sue whatever. I mean, if there is a small percentage, I mean, that happens with every ethnic background. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not seeing any teams with the N word, for example, as their nickname or moniker. Exactly. And, 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 and I and I hate to use a uh, racist word, but if a team were to, let's say, years and years and years ago, call themselves, um, let's say, you know, the Kansas City Spades, they could have been saying, "Oh, well, we use it because of the playing card or something like sure. that." Sure. And then Absolutely. they would try to say, well, it is a racial slur, and I guarantee you it would have gotten changed if, um, you know, enough after, people had tried out after it. You know, I think it's because it's the Native Americans, and Native Americans are people that um, really, and, and, and I do hate to say it, really haven't had a place in the United States for hundreds of years now. I think it's really not that big of a deal to anybody. Okay, but wait a yeah. minute. Jonathan, listen to what you just said. You said that if there were enough, African Americans screaming about the name that you just mentioned there. I'm sorry, but it takes one. Okay, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Then you've got to reconcile your statement against what Jim's bringing up, and that is the evidence that, in fact, many Native Americans have no issue with this. I, and I don't see where there's a case. It takes. I think to split the difference, it takes one to get. It takes one to get the ball rolling, but more have to join up on that issue. Yeah, it, ta- it takes a percentage. I mean, he said 91% of it don't care. It's the other 8% that could get the ball rolling. Wait a minute, 8%? 8%? When, when the last time did we govern by minority? Well, 8%. Uh, it's, it's the United Freaking States of America. It's been doing that for years, Mike. I don't know where you've been hiding, but that's the way it's been. Oh, oh really? I see it all the time. You know, it takes one African-American person to get beat up by a cop. And that gets the ball rolling. You know, it's the same thing with white people. It's the same thing with Asian. I mean, it's the same thing with every ethnic background. It takes that 1%, Mike, to get the ball rolling. And that's what Jim just said. It takes that 1% to do it. You know? 347-237-5373. Who do you want to see blow up first? Mike <laughs> or John? <laughs> and this will be my show. It's- and it'll be running to the ground. I won't make it to 150. <laughs> Conversation on, on our 100th program, which one's going to blow up? Oh. Uh, but uh, no, it, it's it's definitely future fodder. It really is. Like I said, it always takes that one person. You know, you just said it too. It takes that one person to get it rolling. It, it, you know, it's one person to get it going, but it takes many to, you know, make progress. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's why you haven't heard about it until now. I mean, how many people? And uh, when was that? Uh, Those polls uh, I told you about, 02 and 04. 
over 10 years ago. So The, the word is galvanizing. Yeah. Okay, that's the word that I'm looking for. That's the feeling I want to have. And with all due respect, gentlemen, I don't have it here. Yeah. All right? You can talk about all the 1% you want. This is not a galvanizing movement. Mm-hmm. Trying to see. You know, I think I would like to reach out to Amanda Blackhorse and have her on with us. I know she wrote for the Huffington Post for a little bit well, and had her own blog on there. If there's a way to do it, I would like to do that. Well, there's just a... Get another shot right from the. Oh, I mean, no, I mean, you know, get it, you know, get it straight from the, uh, you know, from the source. You know? I was gonna say, if you were gonna go make the any bad joke there. Right? <laughs> I know, I thought he was going somewhere there. I... <laughs> then you, then you'd have no chance of getting her on the show, good sir. Now you know what? Let me ask you something now. Uh... If they were the Washington natives. Do you think they'd be doing the same thing? Because as yeah. you saw before, she said that you know the Redskins is a racial slur, but I, I you know, but then she said something that going along the lines of you know it, it doesn't stop there. So is it just something that they want done? I mean, to me, I think being called a brave, a chief, uh, you know, I you know, I think that's a proud name. I would I would agree with you that a, a chief or a brave is a prouder name. I don't see anything wrong with Indians in and of itself. Matter of fact, Cleveland has tried to distance themselves a little bit. They, you know, the smiling tomahawk guy is. Well, with yeah, well, with the red-skinned Native American in their logo too. That's you know, I think that. Yeah, thing. well, that's what I mean. That the caricature of the Indian is pretty far removed. They usually use just a a C or an I or Indians and script font yes. as their logo, and that that I'm all for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Washington natives, I, I don't. I don't think you'd have as much of an outcry. Oh, I don't know. I, but it, it, I'm being cynical. Have, let, me, let me preface it. You're always going to have an outcry. But I, oh, it, it depends. It depends. I mean, because natives could be taken a bunch of different ways. It, you know, it could be native to the city. You're native to your country because it's the national capital. And, of course, Native Americans can fall in line, too. You, it could be, It's a more subjective name, put it to you that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think the Braves and the Chiefs names are proud names. And, uh, you know, if I was Native American, I think that would be pretty cool. You know, I would love to be rocking uh, Atlanta Braves gear. You know, I, you know to I me, that's, that you know, No, but no, but I'm saying that's a positive thing to me. I mean, that's oh, I something understand. to be proud of, you know, yeah. as a Native American. Well, so yeah. I can see because it is it is a racial slur, you know. I'm I'm, I'm looking at and I'm 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 just sitting here thinking about the Florida State Seminoles. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say Seminoles, that's to me I find nothing offensive about that because all they're simply doing is taking the name of a specific tribe. Yes. And paying homage. The Seminole tribe was originally from Florida, so yeah. Right. Yeah. So. You know. It's, it's uh, it's worth watching and keeping an eye towards. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, but that's why you know that's what I would definitely like to do is try to reach out to Amanda Blackhorse and uh, get her on air. I mean, I, you know, I, I I want her to break it down. I, you know, we can see why you would want to do something with the Redskins because it is a racial slur. But what do the Braves and the Chiefs have to do with it? What do the Florida Seminoles have to do with it? You know, because they are paying homage to your people. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. You know, but that's what I'd like to see. I, I you know, so. In her, the you know in, in in her defense, I I could see why she wants to go after the Redskins, but on the other way, I I don't see why she said we can't stop there. We have to go after the Braves and the Chiefs as well. Bingo, and that's where I'm coming down on it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just kind of feel that there's an agenda here, folks. Well, because we didn't oh, know really? about going after the Braves and the Chiefs before today. So I mean, we when we spoke about it, it was that whole thing with the Redskins. So 
you know, now it's like, why does she want to go after the Braves for? I mean, to me, that, you know, pays homage to your people. So, I'm going after the Phillies for actually being named what they are because they're not a baseball team. I think anyway. they should be called the Philadelphia Filthies. Well, certain because portions of the city are pretty filthy. That's coming from a New Yorker there that just said that. Well, and just like many portions of the great well, Big Apple. People in New York, they don't call them the Yankees. They call them the Yankees. <laughs> I call them Al Yankazira. Anyway, moving on. The devil who wears pinstripes, man. Yes. Yes, always remember that. Always remember that. Let's go through it a little bit. You know, talking baseball, let's go through a little bit of an MLB update. Um, out in the American League East, the Yankees, Baltimore Orioles, and Boston Red Sox are now tied for first place. I got to tell you right now, man, it looks like it. With all the injuries that they have, Joe Girardi's going to get manager of the year. Oh, know? he has to. He has to at this early stage. I mean, he is doing more with – well, let me back that up. I don't want to say more with less, but more with – with uh, your B team than any other manager in baseball right now. Because, I mean, there is star power on that team. You know, regard because they're the freaking Yankees. Of course they're going to have big names. I mean, doing this stuff with guys like Brennan Bosch. Well, uh, Vernon Wells, who's had a, a, a great resurgence. Yeah, this isn't Mike DeShera. This isn't A-Rod there. This isn't Jeter right now. You know what I mean? It's... It's Brennan Bosch and Lyle Overbay, guys like that. And Girardi's doing it. And I have to say this, to, you know, message to Yankees fans, you're always blessing Joe Girardi for decisions he makes. This is your time to shut up now because Girardi's got your your your, your old injury plagued right at the moment has been team at 20 and 13 at the top of the AL East. Yeah, I keep waiting for him to stumble, and uh, it, it just doesn't seem to be happening. Um, well, just I'm... like with Boston. I mean, Boston has been a pleasant surprise as well with uh, Clay Buckholds and his yep. pitching performance. Say what you will about if it's right or wrong about the uh, story about Big Poppy that was posted in the Boston Globe, but the man is is come back with a vengeance uh, since coming back from injury. Uh, this Boston team is playing playing out of their gourd right now. So basically, a message to all other MLB teams, including the Houston Astros: put a little preparation H on your hand before you pitch. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's just not right. That's just... The ball is shrinking the strike zone. <laughs> I am just at the stain. Oh. Out in, the, uh, <laughs> in the AL Central, Detroit up in uh, first place, uh, one game lead over Kansas City. Kansas City still hanging in there, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. In the AL West, Texas in first place, three-and-a-half game lead over Oakland. Angels, three-and-seven in the last 10, eight-and-a-half games back, second-to-last place. Yeah, I want to talk about the Angels. I want to talk about them. Yeah. Three, three and seven in their last ten. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Next well, question. AL, excuse me, NL East. Atlanta still in first place, two game lead over Washington. They're slipping. Yes, both six and four in their last ten, but they're still playing positive baseball. Atlanta, they could still do good there. Yeah, but watch Washington. They're sneaking up there, and and Atlanta has shown that they're mortal. Yeah, mm-hmm. they get up there a little bit too, but that's not lasting. They're going to be in second to last place before you know it. Mm-hmm. Although with Philadelphia going, who knows? Yeah, oh, good in the NL Central, St. Louis in first place with a half game lead. Oh, excuse me, three, three game lead over the Cincinnati Reds. In the end, I still see Cincinnati Reds taking that division there. Um, in the NL West, Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants tied with a record of twenty and fifteen. Colorado half game back. Dodgers in last place now with a six game behind record. Yeah, who'd have thought that one? And that Western division's been going back and forth. I mean, for weeks now, Colorado was leading. Uh, then San Francisco took over. Now you got Arizona up at the top. So that's rather that's actually one of the more competitive divisions going right now in baseball. It definitely is. And uh, I, I hear Jamie Farr and uh, Hot Lips Houlihan and Alan Alda and all them 
They are now en route to Chavez Ravine to serve as a mash unit for the Do- uh, for the Dodgers Major League squad. It's just yeah. that bad. Yeah. So if you know if they're actually heading out to Chavez Ravine, is uh, Doctor Sidney Friedman heading out to Philadelphia? Oh man, uh, no, no comment. <laughs> no. All right. Well, we got to play another clip here because. Oh, yeah. You know, we were able to, you know, be joined by my favorite all-time hockey player, and uh, that's Adam Graves, number nine for the New York Rangers. No uh, bias. No, no, bias. no, not at all. Great guy. Hey, listen, man, if Mike can enjoy that show, anybody could. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, I was honored as, as as a huge Rangers fan, as a huge fan of Adam Graves growing up to be joined by him and, uh, you know, De- definitely one of the highlights of, uh, of of my career in sports media. Um, had to ask him this simple question on January twenty fourth, two thousand eight. The great, probably uh, you know the best American defenseman born, uh, Brian Leach. His uh, number two was retired and hung into the rafters with uh, Mike Richter, uh, Mark Messier, Eddie Jacquemin, Roger Bear, and others. And uh, you know that was the night that Brian Leach announced that Adam Graves' number was going to be retired and. The look on Adam Gray's face was just of pure shock and and of uh, you know wow you know and and I had to ask him this so Mike if you could play that this is Adam Gray's answer to my question absolutely well I think for me I was uh, I, I, I was overwhelmed um, yeah. because I, I I truly do uh, respect um, uh, the tradition and uh, the great tradition of the the, the Ranger organization. And, and, and I do believe that I understand that there's so many great players that have, have worn that jersey, and, and and I said that even when Mr. Bathgate's number was was, was raised a, a couple of weeks later, that I never should have had the opportunity to wear number nine because he was uh, the greatest player to ever wear that that number and one of the greats of all time. So for me, I, it was one. It was just came out of left field, and I was uh, 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 totally taken aback, but. But two, I just felt a lot of weight because it was just so humbling, uh, and and uh, um, and and I look and I and especially from number two, I mean he's a guy that I can remember playing against when I was 18 years old in in, uh, uh, in a Canada U.S. series. I, we played him in a two-game series. I've, I've told this story before a couple times. We had our way with him. We we probably beat him 11-5 and mm-hmm. and 8-4 or something like that. But I'll never forget walking away from that game at the end or skating away from that game at the end and shaking hands. And I, I'll never forget because there's a blonde kid on the other team, a defenseman uh, with curly hair, and I'll never forget shaking his hand and saying, you're one heck of a hockey player. Good luck in the draft. It was before our, our, our draft. He was far and away the best player on the ice, and nothing really changed his entire career. And, and then to get to know him, play the most games that uh, – you know, I, I think as a, a teammate, I, I got to play uh, with him the most games, mm. and and just to know him as a friend and have him uh, announce something that was so humbling yeah. uh, was it was a privilege. And and, and I I still I don't think I'll I don't know if I'll ever be 100% comfortable just because I realize how great a players those guys were. And, and I look at my game and and I wasn't the fanciest of player. I was more of a <laughs> dump it in and try to run through the end board, get in front of the net, and do all the the the, the the you know the, the I don't want to say the, uh, uh, the 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 rough and tumble part of the the, the game because I, I took as much as I received without question but um, certainly didn't play a fancy game and I didn't have the skill that those guys uh, had I was I was a product of my environment so for me to be up alongside those guys it is it is one heck of an honor and, and a privilege. 
Yeah, it was it was just great to have Adam Graves on with us, uh, you know, getting all the stories, talking about his career. Um, you know, honestly, one of the most humble, humble people that I've ever had the chance to meet and speak to. Um, I, I was able to meet Adam and speak to him in person a couple of times, but not to the length that we were able to speak with him here, Mike. And, yeah. uh, you know, honestly, from, you know, from my, uh, you know, personal standpoint, it was, it was really an honor to have him on with us. And that was on, uh, that show actually came on January 2nd. So that kicked off the new year for us. Yeah, yep. That was our first uh, show of 2013. Uh, you know, you know, special thanks to Adam for taking the time out of his very, very busy schedule with the New York Rangers to join us that day. Um, you know, we've had some great, great guests, Mike. But before I get to the uh, special thank you list here of all the guests that joined us, I have to ask you, one show that stood out for you in all of the hundred shows that we've did, which one could you pick? Oh, my goodness. Uh, wow. You know, I I always go back to uh, – the, the, you know, I always go back to the Kenny Albert one. Um Yeah. And I guess the reason for that is that being a, a student of journalism and communications, uh, to me it was really, really special to be able to talk to Kenny Albert and uh, uh, get his perspective on the industry of communications. And, and I think that that probably is, although I got it, you know, just like I said at the top of the show, Jonathan, it's like almost impossible to put your finger on one. Yeah. But uh, I, I've always ranked the Kenny Albert one up there high. Yeah, we had some great ones. Jim, out of all the shows that you've listened to and even joined us on for, um, is, is there anyone that stands out to you? Of course, I'm biased. All the shows I'm on are epic. No, uh, <laughs> but, ser- but seriously, I'm going to agree with uh, with Mike about the, the interview with Kenny Albert, uh, one of my favorite broadcasters, and the fact that he's just so down-to-earth and so approachable and honest and uh, open. And I think weren't, uh, at the time of that interview, he was pretty much like the proverbial chicken with his head cut off, doing a bunch of things yep. for a bunch of different sports at one time. And to allocate a little time to you guys was uh, awesome of him. And uh, he's one of the best in the business and does not get the respect he deserves, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's been a few that, you know, have been some of my personal favorites. I think my all-time favorite, of course, is Adam Graves because, um, you know, it, it was an honor for me to be talking to him. Uh, but what, you know, two of my you know favorites were uh, when we were joined, Mike, by uh, former captain of the U.S. hockey women's uh, Olympic team, Natalie Darwitz, because we were able to talk about her career in the Olympics and coming out of college, and now as a coach, where she was the assistant to her father, and now her father is the assistant to her. You know, it's kind of like that full circle thing. And also, uh, you, you know, the Kelly Stinnett program. Uh, you know, that was absolutely probably our most powerful program oh, yeah. that we've ever done. We played that clip. Um, you know, during the first hour of the show. And, uh, you know, I think when you look back at all the guests that we've had and all the episodes that we're going to do, Mike, and, you know, and, and I hope it's hundreds more, uh, even thousands more would be great. But I think when you look back at it, I, I think that program with Kelly Stinnett is really going to define our program here. Well, and as you say, I think the word to use there was powerful. Yeah. Because uh, we came across something that we just didn't expect. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, I know we have a little bit of time left in this show, so I want to thank a few people. Uh, first, Jim, uh, you know, really want to thank you, uh, you know, from the bottom of our hearts here for uh, joining us and, uh, you know, being our third coast and also taking over for us uh, either when we were sick, mostly me because I've had a tough winter, and uh, just wanted to let you know that you are a part of this crew uh, just as much as Mike and I were, and we really want to thank you for that. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. And, Mike, you too, man. Uh, you know, I came with you, you know, came to you with an idea one day, and I said, hey, man, 
do you want to be my co-host for a show? What do you think? <laughs> and with, without a hesitation, you jumped on. So, uh, you know, thank you for being my partner here in, in, this, in this fun, fun ride. Absolutely. And one of the things I wanted to point out, uh, even for our listeners, you know, Jonathan, you and I have only known each other for about a year and a half. Yeah. And how did how did I how did I meet Jonathan? Folks, are you ready? How about through FanJunkies.net? Ah! It all <laughs> comes back to the title sponsor. Please but don't. you know, people think perhaps maybe we've been long, long, long time friends. No, nope. nope. uh, no, it, 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 we're, we do something that we just absolutely love to do and enjoy doing. And uh, it, it, you know, you and I, we do it well. I mean, I, I I say that really without ego. We do it well. Yeah, and we you do. do. You do, you know? seriously, you too do. And that's how I found out about it was I saw your five minutes at the Frat House video with uh, Sidekick mm-hmm. uh, over at FratHouseSports.net and on YouTube. And uh, I was like, wow, I wonder where these guys found fan junkies from. And you guys were promoting the heck out of it for uh, multiple episodes before that. And, uh, you know, I was very thankful for it. And we, uh, you know, we all created a very good friendship over here between fan junkies and the Frat House group. Right. And uh, it's been a great friendship. And, it's- hey. You're going to be at my wedding Absolutely. in July. And it, we will continue on with that. Yes. Absolutely. So let's go through this list here and thank some of our guests that have joined us. Um, our, our first guest was uh, Jamie Jacobson of the Lingerie Football League. Great gal. Um, you know, you know, proud to call her a friend as well. Uh, Brett Clint Daniel and the guys over at WrestleChat.net. We had them on uh, for one episode. Current uh, Columbus Blue Jackets assistant coach Dan Hynote. Great, great show. Uh, a good friend of yours, Mike Philadelphia Hall of Fame President Ken Avalon, for joining us. Yep. Um, a good friend of mine and a good friend of our show is here, Kenny Albert. Great, great stuff with Kenny as always. Kim Anderson of the Lingerie Football League. Former NBA players Chucky Brown and Willie Burton. Uh, have to thank them, Chucky, for today, and also Willie because that was another amazing show we did, Mike. Yes, it was. Um, a good friend of mine and a good friend of Ranger Nation and a good friend of ours here, Russ Cohen. Uh, you know my my hockey my favorite hockey player of all time Adam Graves pure honor would love to have him on again in the future uh, the creator and director of the movie Renaissance Men coming out soon Nate Bellamy Chris Lepresti of WFE and 660 in New York Lee Klein a good friend of mine former Philadelphia Philly and New York Mets outfielder Eric Valent former MLB catcher Kelly Stinnett a good friend of ours here Mike and that's the uh, board game maker uh, Dwight Bart up in uh, Canada right. John Caps, Sean Corr, Steve Nelson, and Lauren Bush all have to do with racing and in the NASCAR community. I know, Mike, that was one of your favorite weeks of it all was. time. It was. <laughs> uh, WIFL player rep and player Kylie Fainel, Chris Braun, and uh, Joe Unitas from the United we, Unitas We Stand movie that's coming out uh, sometime next year. Frank Close, good friend of yours, Mike. Yep. Good friend of mine, WIFL owner uh, Ray Blanchett. Natalie Darwitz, the former captain of the Olympic women's hockey team. Uh, John Lobb, uh, who we had on for our NFL week, Mike, and is now a member of the Detroit Lions. That was a great, great show. Yep. And, uh, you know, happy to say that, uh, you know, he is um, with the Detroit Lions. So, you know, we have to give him props for that. Congratulations uh, to you, John Lobb, for uh, getting your career in the NFL going. We hope to really see you on that field. And also Eastern Michigan linebacker Justin Cudworth, who has not been drafted or signed yet, but we know for a fact uh, that Justin Cudworth will be signed in the NFL. And also, um, uh, Terry Wright, sports agent, former New England Patriots safety, um, has helped us out a lot here. And we also have to say, next Wednesday we're going to be joined by last year's rookie phenom punter of the St. Louis Rams, 
Johnny Hecker yep. at 12 p.m. here on Fan Junkies Radio this Wednesday coming up. So you have to definitely tune into that. It's going to be a great, great show. So that's it for our two-hour special 100th anniversary, Mike. And we march on to 200. And exactly. Now it starts the march to 200, and we know that we'll have Kerry Frazier on for our 200th show. <laughs> and Chucky Brown. And Jim. And Jim, yeah. why not? Why not? And Jim. So, yes, to all of our listeners, you get the biggest thanks of all. You have made Fan Junkies Radio what it is today, and that's 100 episodes deep and one of the fastest-growing Internet radio shows going today. And like we always say, without you, we would be absolutely nothing. So for Mike McShane, my co-host and my partner in crime, for Jameson Jim Williams, (laughs) the voice that we all know, a very, very good friend, one of our best friends here on the show – I am Jonathan Ragus. Thank you all for tuning into our 100th episode of Fan Junkies Radio. And we'll see you all Monday for 101. Here's the 200.